Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. stuff here at WABC and I don't like it. Got to be perfectly honest. The reason uh, we come in with this classic door song break on over to the other side is not because of Jim Morrison, my favorite, but actually of Ray Manzarek who had dialed a while back, but was like the key to the doors along with Jim Morrison. And it just so happens, this is a week in which I'm coming full circle. Full circle. It's almost as if I approach my 70th birthday on March 26th. I'm going full circle on everything in my life. When I was on the south side of Chicago visiting where uh, I spent my first four years growing up, 46, and Rockwell used to be all Polish, now all Mexican. I remember being there with my uh, cousins on my father's side from Uncle Leonard, Polish, all Polish, Kenny. And uh, actually, yeah, it was Kenny and Glenn. And they were talking about how the great Glenn Manzarek was from the south side of Chicago had actually gone to a Catholic school there. And, I mean, he was all Polish all the time. And uh, they remember talking a great deal about him. Now, I remember that. That's just a sliver of memory as we were greeted with more bad news that dementia has fully embraced Brian Wilson of... of uh, one of the greatest bands of all time. It is so associated uh, with uh, America and obviously the California sign, but he more the psychedelic sign. Uh, Charlie Manson, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, my God, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys with full-blown dementia. How soon uh, before the President of the United States that is a full acknowledgement that this guy is suffering from dementia? But unfortunately, how many others out there have this disease that everyone just wants to be hush, hush, mush, mush about? 24 hours ago, as I was discussing the Black National Anthem, 
that was sung regularly at Roy Innes's core dinner for Martin Luther King, the largest of its kind in the nation each year that I attended at the Sheridan, and how he insisted that the Black National Anthem be sung, even though most folks didn't know the words, including black folks, and then to be elucidated, educated by James Golden as to its importance. See, that's great talk radio. But then I came full circle. Remember, I told you I'd been to the Hebrew home for the aged up in Riverdale visiting my mother, Francesca, who had taken a nasty fall in her home in Canarsie. She was rehabbing from uh, damage done to her hip. And as I had went through uh, the various levels of the Hebrew home for the aged, I saw my very dear friend Roy Ennis in a bed with it. It was a man so strong. So virile. Man, he never surrendered. He never retreated. He always took his stand. Big Second Amendment believer. Took on, remember, Al Slim Shady Sharpton? You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that, Christian Matos. You would not remember that. On the stage of the Apollo Theater. And it was the show at that time that was rocking the nation every night on Channel 9, the Superstation, WWOR. And he'd be smoking and smoking up packs of cigarettes after packs of cigarettes. And I remember it got very contentious, and uh, Roy Ennis just yoked Al Slim Shady Sharpton on that uh, on that stage. He didn't need the Sandman to come out with the hook. No, no, no. It was Roy Ennis, great man, but he had withered. He had dementia. He had Alzheimer's, and soon after he had died. Boy, we are coming full circle. I don't know what it is that's going on in my life, in my thought process. But everywhere I go, it transports me to a different time in a different place where something took place in that area. And I go into a deep flashback. And I'm sure this has happened to many of you. And we're not talking through a drug-induced psychosis, LSD, no, 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 tabs of acid, no. This is just a, I don't know what it is. But we're going to take you on this venture to the break of dawn, 6 o'clock. And it seems in many of these instances, I have transported myself all throughout the day on Saturday with the snow at first and then uh, the different places that I had to be. And I got to tell you, that's what my life has become as I approach the big number seven zero. A series of flashbacks. I'm sure it's occurred with all of you. But boy, this was really bad news. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys dementia. Roy Innes dementia. How many people out there have suffered? With dementia and Alzheimer's, as they vegetate away, as they're barely able to function and hear and think. And maybe they are able to process. We still don't know that. But we got to break on over to the other side. And we got to start with Christian Matos, who has been recruited into duty again to replace... uh, the only two-man team in all of uh, talk radio. That's right. It's only two of us, Broadway, Bill Lee. 45 years of experience at WCBS-FM during the week. Then teams up uh, with us here on the weekends. It's 
Broadway Billy on the boards and answering the phones. We show how you can be lean and do it without an army and an entourage, as I see around here during the rest of the day. I don't know what the people do around here other than maybe hold up the consoles and hold up the desk and look at their stupid iPhone and smartphone, and it certainly ain't helping the quality of shows, and especially not when it comes to the many shows I do at WABC, because I just tell all these young huckleberries, get the hell out of the way. If it was up to me, you'd have to forfeit your cell phones walking in here to WABC. You don't need them. Oh, hey. You don't need them. It's a total distraction. It does nothing for the quality of this thing of ours, the most intimate form of communication that has ever been created. Nothing. And then passing by in the shadow of the Mickey D's that I will visit on President's Day Monday. Past Fordham Road in Webster, where I started the Guardian Angels on February 13th of 1979. And you know, Christian Matos, you're doing such a good job substituting. Hey, Broadway Bill Lee, if you're listening down there in Fort Myers, in your shuffleboard tournament, along with Warner Wolf, your partner against the Canadians who stomped you last year. Oh, yeah. They're down there trying to raise uh, the red, white, and blue over the Maple Leafs. Boy, the Canadians are such good shuffleboard play, uh, players down there in western Florida and eastern Florida. You know, Hollywood, Hollandale, then you swing over to Fort Myers. But it's so interesting because, um, you know, there's the story of Wally Pipp and Lou Gehrig. And remember, Wally Pipp took a day off. He had a migraine headache. His manager said, don't even worry about it. We got this kid from Columbia University, Washington State, Lou Gehrig. Uh, he'll substitute you for today. Don't worry, Wally. Go back to the hotel room. Max and relax. Guess what? Lou Gehrig never left first base after that. Hey, you, you hear that, Broadway Billy? That's what I tell everybody here at WABC. You give up a minute, you give up an hour, you give up a day of broadcasting. Hey, this seat, this microphone may not be turned on for you the next day. It doesn't belong to any of us. Each and every day, Red Apple Media, our parent company, owned and operated by John and Margot Katsimatidis and the El Generalissimo is Chad Lopez. They lend us the microphone. They're the most powerful radio station by day in the nation and the most powerful at night. Heard in 172 countries. And John Katzmatidis is working on hoping that we can uh, be able to be received on, an, and on, Antarctica, on Antarctica. Anyway, you know that uh, promotion of Mickey D's, It's a Good Day at McDonald's? My wife was uh, sort of humming that to me, Nancy. And then I said, well, it's actually a bad day at McDonald's. Uh, Ronald McDonald up in the Bronx has been replaced by the Hamburglar because the McDonald's that I started the Guardian Angels at is closed, padlocked, because it's considered inoperable, out of control. Dope fiends, drug dealers, homeless, emotionally disturbed, prostitutes, pimps, gangbangers. So much so that they just couldn't do business anymore. So the corporation in Oak Brook in Chicago decided to padlock that Mickey D's. And, you know, we're coming full circle. Because there was a guy named Don Chen who was actually a member of the Savage Skulls and went on to become an assistant manager of Mickey D's and a manager... Now he's uh, part of the uh, company 
that actually sells the potatoes for the fries, that makes McDonald's what it is. That's what attracts you to Mickey D's, the fries. Because <laughs> they're the best. Their other food is not the best. I gotta tell you straight up. But their fries, you can't touch them. Other fast food joints. Oh, wow. Coming full circle here. Lord only knows where we're gonna go. I'm listening to this Andrew Giuliani promo, uh, promo. He's talking about the New Hampshire primary, right? Well, wasn't that back in January uh, 24th? Hey, is anybody listening out there? You think we could change that promo? For the number one radio station in the nation playing oldie moldy promos of a New Hampshire primary that is in the distance of the rearview mirror. You know, South Carolina coming up. Hello. Man, I got to be all over this. Am I the only one who actually does programs here other than John and Mark who actually listen to the station? The people who program the station, oh, you know, they check in, they check out. It's a paycheck. It's not a paycheck. We breathe life into these microphones. You pick up on it. We energize you. We create an emotional bond. We take you on that time machine. And we don't ask anything in response other than you listen and you let others know about the power of the sound of WABC 770 AM and how you could take it all over the globe by downloading the app into your iPhone, smartphone, listening it on the stream of your laptop or your worktop computer all over the world. Man, I hate it when we don't deliver an A-plus product. No. No, no oldie moldy stuff. Hey, Chris, Chris Matos, we're going to go through those promos, and if Chris Libertini's got oldie moldy stuff in there, we ain't playing it. You got that? We ain't tainting this product because that's lazy radio. Oh, well, you know, I forgot. I don't want to hear that crap. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But there is good news. Oh, there is good news, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, I've been suffering miserably with scabies. First diagnosed, believe it or not, by Dr. Sidney Rosenberg. His mother and father always wanted him to be a doctor. Of course, he's a Jewish kid. Always ran away from his Jewishness, wanted to be an Italian stallion eating sausage and pepper sandwiches with a with a series of gold crucifixes strung around his neck. You know that. And then October 7th hit, and boy, he has discovered his Jewish roots. Just last week at this very time, he had come from the Fifth Avenue Synagogue. What a powerful performance by so many people in honoring Sid. The comeback kid, he came back to his roots, Hashem. He was sort of dabbling with J.C., going over to get ashes in St. Patrick's Cathedral, and I told him, hey, Hashem, it's going to hit you with a bolt of lightning. You're going to put your finger in the holy water dish, and all of a sudden you're going to get electrocuted. What is wrong with you? Who was that person? I want to beat him up. No, it was you. You lost your, you, you lost your way, Sid. But last, last Saturday night, after Shabbat, you were there. You were there. Oh, man, he was there. And, you know, Monday, we got to introduce you to the comedian who lit the place up, 
I'm telling you, this guy is a future Jerry Seinfeld. I'm not going to tell you his name now. You got to be listening on Monday at 7.05 as you listen every Monday through Friday, 7.05. That's where I begin my marathon of appearances at WABC, followed by the Rip and Read, 12 to 1. Joined by Nancy, my wife, to do the deep dive as an e-attorney, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And let's not forget... I'm still the director of the talk radio boot camp here at WABC to shape up the young Huckleberries. Andrew Giuliani will be joining me in a few hours, 8 to 9. Then Nancy comes in for the deep dive, and then the very best program of the many I do, the animal welfare program, soon to be syndicated across the nation from 10 to 11. But I, I, when, when I hear things that have just not been on the cutting edge... It fouls me. Although I did hear Tony Orlando with Aldon at 11.30. Spin the stacks of wax, a raspberry beret, a Prince classic. I never once. Hey, Tony, I know you and your brother listen out there somewhere in the heartland of Missouri. Not far from Springfield, yeah. Hey, Tony. Raspberry Beret, how come you didn't say, hey, you know, Curtis Sliwa, Raspberry Beret, huh? And you see, you become myopic. You're so focused on just what you're doing, which is a damn good job. He was spinning really good music tonight, Tony Orlando and his brother. I was, I was, I was getting into the groove on it. But you heard that, Christian Matos. Raspberry Beret, hey! He's Tony out there, you think you can make the link to Curtis Lee Raspberry Beret? Got it? Since we had done a tribute of Vanity just 24 hours ago, we just are moving in a million different directions because this is theater of the mind. This is the entertainment part of WABC. In fact, it is the relief of the doldrum of the endless talk radio that gives you migraines, headaches, and it's all political all the time. Trump is God. Biden sucks. The laptop. Hunter Biden. Oh, that's his cocaine in the White House. And you know the rest of the story. Yeah. I'll bet you that kind of talk actually causes people to get sick. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it is negative, 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 negative. Hey, where is the entertainment factor? Lighten up. You can get to the politics. You can talk Trump. You can talk Biden. You can talk about the political wars that are underway. But you don't play oldie moldy promos of a New Hampshire prom, uh, a New Hampshire primary that was over, I think, on January 24th. What the hell are we doing here? That's a sin. That's a stain. That's an indication you're not ready for prime time. You're not ready for the major leagues of broadcasting. I have told all of you. It takes two hours of preparation to do a good hour of talk radio. If you're not doing the time, if you're not investing into this thing we love, get the hell out of here. I'll do your time. Oh, yeah, man, I'll take it up and I ain't going to give it back. God. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's 1-800-848-WABC. And oh, glory, Halioski, hallelujah. So good, so good. I finally have relief. Finally have relief. 
I was introduced by Kevin Breslin, the son of the famous journalist, one of the greatest of all time, street guy Jimmy Breslin. We'll get into that momentarily. Kevin, who now lives out in the Irish Riviera, and he constantly hear me in pain, and man, it's been painful. With this scabies, now Norwegian scabies, it is the worst form. Out of all the forms of scabies that you can have, I mean, it's a thousand bites, and it deteriorates you, it debilitates you, and you itch and you scratch, and it is a form of pain. And he introduced me to Dr. Joel Casimir. Oh, my God, this guy has stabilized me. So good. Him and his associate looked at it. You know, they did an analysis. They figured it seven different ways to uh, Beijing, China, and back. And nailed it. The medication that I'm on to give me the relief and get rid of this uh, plague on me is beginning to take effect. I have Kevin Breslin, and thanks for that. Oh, there's a lot more to say about that, because that comes, that brings me full circle. But uh, Christian Matos, uh, I did give a gift to Nancy uh, for St. Valentine's Day. No, it wasn't candy, it wasn't flowers. You're going to hear it later on. No late no, news director, Cole busted me on that, but also Cole busted... The Mameluke Frank Morano, who's a kleptomaniac, taking everybody's refrigerator out of uh, everybody's food out of the refrigerator, who doesn't have their name on it. He thinks he has a license to take. He's a kleptomaniac. And Noam Laden busted him and busted me. He scored the daily double all within one week. Jesus, Frank. But I did give a gift to uh, Nancy for St. Valentine's Day. Now she has scabies. And, uh, oh, hell no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, she is not a happy camper. And thankfully, Joel Casimir has come to the rescue and is treating her too. Oh, because then, boy, we live in a very small apartment on the Upper West Side. With, as you know, a lot of rescue cats that would have been euthanized, would have been killed. Not for Nancy and other rescuers immediately running to animal care and control the shelter system of New York City. They would much prefer to put an animal down if they can't foster it out or adopt it out. And we say, no, 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 never, never, never. So the fact, imagine, when they ask me, what did you give your wife, Nancy, who's been so loyal to you, the keeper? For St. Valentine's Day. And I have to admit, scabies. God, she's itching, scratching, cursing my name. Oh, my God. We did everything to prevent that. It was like, remember remember the old C- series, the old series Dick Van Dyke show? Well, well where, did he, where did he live? He was a sales executive, right? He took Metro North. What was it? White Plains or New Rochelle? I think it was New Rochelle. And remember, he was married to Mary Tyler Moore, and they had separate beds. Separate beds. And they would always have one foot on the floor. What the hell was that for? You know, the 1950s censored. Can't be sleeping in the same bed. Nope. Well, imagine. When you got scabies, you got no choice. And I was on the couch. But Norwegian scabies. It's like, you know, the scabies, thousands. 
bites, thousands of bites and marks, and these mites are digging in. Digging in right to the marrow of my bone. And now, with the help of Dr. Joel Casimir, it's almost like the war between the Ukraine and, yeah, Putin. It's a meat grinder. And guess what, mites? I'm going to grind you up before you grind me up and put me in Creedmoor. Because that's the way this feels. I mean, I feel at times so crazed, I could easily, easily be housed in the hallways of Creedmoor that I've walked through, that actually housed, believe it or not, over the years. Some of the greatest performers of all time. Oh, yeah, being out there battling the tents, being put up to house the migrants. You got to see some places where they were staying that you would say, what, what? Who was staying here? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As I come full circle, sort of do the dance with the guy who used to do the Peels beer commercials. Remember Peels? That was the first aluminum can. Yeah, street guy. Who took a beat down by the Lucchese crime family and lived to tell about it. Yep, yep, a page right out of my own uh, battling of organized crime. The geriatric espresso sipping psychotic killers of organized crime. You don't want to go anywhere to the break of dawn. This is like no talk radio program you've ever heard, ever. We go where nobody else goes. There are no barriers. Our minds, which are intact, thank God, that are not suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's, are still able to connect all the dots. And we'll continue to push forward. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Oh, the group that I so love, including not only Jim Morrison, but his partner, Ray Manzarek. All Polish, south side of Chicago. That's part of my roots. 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Oh, yeah, we're going to get into dirty laundry now. Not your BVDs or the Fruit of the Loom. No, no. Not your bloomers. No, no, no. Not your thongs. No, it's the dirty laundry that is out there consistently. Consistently. But we're going to clean it up. And it ain't with Tide, that's for sure.
when we were being kicked to the left, to the right, when I first started the Guardian Angels in 1979. Mass arrests of Guardian Angels. Ed Koch, the mayor at the time, wanted us removed from the subway systems. A guy named McKechnie was the transit police chief, excuse me, union chief. He had no love for us. He wanted us out, out. And they did everything they could to make our lives miserable, to grab whole patrols off the number four train, the Muggins Express, and we'd be in a daisy chain purple. Lead story on the 11 o'clock news, and folks would say, oh, it's vigilantes. They're taking the law into their own hands. It's a gang. New Yorkers uh, were not lining up in support of us. I didn't know how much longer I could continue. I mean, you can only get arrested so many times before eventually. Yep. Even though it was a turnstile justice system back then, only so many times you can get locked up and then it put you away. They were hitting us with serious charges. They were getting criminals to step up and say that I and other guardian angels had given them a whooping. And then a man's man visited us at our headquarters in the Bronx. And I looked at him when he walked into our headquarters and I said, God, man, this is the guy in the Peel's beer commercial. The regular guy, the common guy, Jimmy Breslin. The columnist for the Daily News, the most read columnist. And then I remember him telling telling his story to the guys and gals that were sitting there in the living room, which served as our headquarters, which was at uh, West Fordham Road and University Avenue, my apartment, next to St. Nicholas at Tallentine. Said he had been uh, born and raised in Jamaica. His sister said, you know, guys and gals, I know some of you don't have daddies. He goes, I didn't have a daddy. My daddy went out one day to buy some rolls and never returned. It was my mother. It was a high school teacher. He, he was, oh, he told her, I'll never forget that story. It was me and my sister. It was rough. And then he said, I got a job as a copy boy at the Long Island Press. And I had delivered the Long Island Press in the summers in Canarsie for a nickel. I mean, who the hell would want to read Long Island News in Brooklyn and Queens? Well, they were getting it, the degenerate gamblers, because it was cheaper than racing for them, and it had the paramutuals. You know, that's why people would line up at 10 o'clock at night to get the night hour edition of the Daily News. The numbers, the numbers. The lines would go around the block, and that's when the city was vital. That luncheonette, that candy store was open. People were out in the streets. You don't see that anymore. The only place open are weed shops, these illegal pop-up weed shops. Almost everything else is closed. And I had remembered uh, Jimmy Breslin, although I had never met him before, because like I, like John Katsimatidis, like Anthony Weiner here, he was part of a team of those that were outliers running for the mayoralty of the city of New York. That was Norman Mailer, 1969. Remember 69, the summer of 69, half a million strong, went up to where? Woodstock. First lunar, lunar landing, man walks on 
on that lunar surface, that lunar surface. The miracle match, remember the miracle match? As they took out the Baltimore Orioles, who were considered unstoppable. And I'll never forget, it was the mayoral campaign of Norman Mailer and his partner was Jimmy Breslin running for the city council presidency. That was the ticket. And it was the 51st state ticket. And you know what their logo was? You know what, Christian Matos? Vote the rascals in. They had the most fun running for the mayoralty. It was legit. People voted for them. They launched a campaign on the cyclone in Coney Island on what? The roller coaster. Man. And I remember my cousin Butchie in Howard Beach told me the story. He said, you know that guy, they gave him a beating. I said, what do you mean, Butchie? He said he walks into a Lucchese spot owned by Henry Hill. I think it was called the Restaurant in the Suite. It was about 1970. This is a year after the guy is running for the second position in the city of New York. At that time, there was no public advocate. It was a city council president. The restaurant was owned by Henry Hill. Remember Henry Hill of Goodfellas? Oh, now, now. Okay, I'm connecting with all of you. He's sitting there at the restaurant in the suite. He's one of the most popular writers of all time. Pulitzer Prize winner, Jimmy Breslin, right? And who walks in with Lucchese boys? Jimmy Burke. Yeah, the De Niro character in, that's right, Goodfellas. Gives him a beatdown, smashes him in front of people, at least 100 people. They give him a concussion. They break his fingers, fracture his ribs, break his nose. Because you wrote about Paul Iverio, what I remember from Canarsie Avenue D, Lucchese's, right? Remember? Oh, that's all good, fellas. Jimmy Breslin wasn't going to let it go. He files a police report. Those home park, guess what? He lost it, right? Oh, we don't know what we deal with it. That's a man's man, huh? And then continue to go out there and write stories about them. And then to go full circle, years later, meet his son. I think he had about six children. Grew up in Forest Hills. I didn't, I didn't know him there, but I knew him when he lived on Central Park West, not far from where Nancy and I live now. Great family. What was I on a Delta flight one time going down to West Palm Beach? Hey, I think. Uh, John and Margot Katzmatita, Chad, I think they're down there on Hush Hush Mush Mush Radio Business. Who knows what they'll be bringing back for all of you listeners here at WABC. But as on a Delta flight, I was going to organize Guardian Angels in the middle of the crack cocaine epidemic. I was sitting back in steerage. If you've ever had choices, Miami International Airport, you don't want to land there. Forget that. Then there's Fort Lauderdale Airport. Oh, that's a good one. And then there's West Palm Beach. So before we're ready to touch down to West Palm Beach, the steward, the stewardess, I forget who, calls me up. Curtis, we got a problem in first class. And there was a lot of hollering going on. And who do I see? 
It's Jimmy Breslin arguing with his wife at the time, the city councilwoman, Ronnie Eldridge. And I mean, they're dropping the F-bomb. I mean, these are two street folks going at it. No, no, no uh, physical abuse. But they're like having a disagreement. I say, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, get out of here. Curtis, I got this. I say, Ronnie, Ronnie, get out of here, Curtis. I got this. So I had a nursemaid down the rest of the flight till we landed on the tarmac at West Palm Beach. Wow. And now to come full circle and realize if he hadn't written those columns in the Daily News early on when we were getting locked up, when the city was turning against us, when Ed Koch was running a one-man campaign to vilify us, aided and abetted and assisted by the transit police union chief. God. Hey, uh, who was I just saw, man? Ron Reale, right? in office out in Nassau County. Ron Reale, I said, wait, you're the one who came to our aid, the Transit Police Union, and they, they sacked you because you said nice things about it. Wow. I mean, I'm going full circle here. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on for the ride. Hold on for the ride. You will never, ever hear a stream of consciousness like this before or ever again. It's like a purge. Yeah, we'll be talking about Putin and Navalny because I was down at the Russian consulate with Nancy hours ago protesting his execution and assassination. And all the trolls are coming out because I got it posted everywhere on my social network. Full circle. Full circle, ladies and gentlemen. And then I looked up at the big screen. They were playing a documentary on Navalny. I think it was CNN. And underneath it said, when good men do nothing, evil will triumph. That's right out of Sir Edmund Burke. We'll talk about that. That was the first thing my father, Chester, had ever taught me. Do good things, good things will return. Don't ask when or why. And remember, Curtis, when good men do nothing, evil will triumph. Emblazoned in my thought process. Emblazoned. Ladies and gentlemen, life is a full circle. You have your ups and downs. You learn from your mistakes, and you forge forward. Some get uh, born on third base, and they barely have any problems in their life. Others, it seems like it's setback after setback after setback. But you dust yourself off, and you just keep, you take a, a licking, and you come back swinging. Wow, so much to be happy for, so much to appreciate, and most importantly, the favorite radio that I do all week, the best of the other side of midnight when I can be myself. Unhinged, as some would think, unguarded. Loving this thing that enables me to reach all of you and not having to talk politics, because that's not what I do on the other side of midnight. Now, Cousin Brucey, greatest DJ of all time, will say no politics. But I do speak politics. 705 would say Monday through Friday, the rip and read. But here, no, no, no. We go where no man, no woman generally go in this thing of ours, talk radio. We score a direct link to your heart, mind, and soul 
and make you for the next six hours go on a ride in which you can lift yourself up no matter what it is that burdens you, no matter what it is that pains you, and return to a day and a time, hopefully, where you had a much better time. And maybe we touch that third rail and, oof, it brings it all back together again. You got that, Christian Matos? You see, this is a special thing. It's best of the other side of midnight. And if Broadway Bill Lee doesn't get back from playing shuffleboard in Fort Myers with uh, Warner Wolf, he may not have a job to come back to. You got that, Broadway Bill Lee? No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Didn't have this song 24 hours ago in our library. Christian Matos delivers. We talked about vanity, and now we give you Nasty Girl. Vanity 6. Prince. Purple Rain. No, she didn't make the movie. Nope, 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 nope. Kick it, kick it. back belly to belly so nice we're gonna do it twice thank you christian matos for delivering on what was uh under non-deliverable yesterday as we did uh our flashback to vanity who was uh ensconced in the belly of the beast decadence and debauchery as far as you could go to eventually escape crawl her way out of that abyss and die horrible death, but as an evangelical one trying to teach people not to take the route that she did from the Ontario side of Niagara Falls, the much better side. That's where she was birthed. But let's go to the phones, and it's uh, Deidre, who's calling from uh, Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Deidre. Yes, hello, Deidre. Hello. Yes. Hi, I'm trying to get some information about your problem with scabies because I have the same thing. And I've been treated for two months. And I'm wondering if you can share the medication that his doctor gave you or give me his, I know his name, I wrote it down, um, where I can contact him because I would like to get rid of what I have left. It won't go away. 
How bad is it? Describe for our listeners what it does to you. Well, when it started, it was terribly itchy, and it was uh, there were pink bumps in different parts of my body, and they stayed for quite a while. And I used different creams and ointments to make them better. I'm going to a doctor who um, on Long Island specializes in diseases of the skin. And he promised to make me better. I am somewhat better, but I'm still getting um, breakouts. And some of them have the crusting over them. Not all of them. Most of them don't, actually. Um, But they just won't go away. No, no, you're right. In fact, stay on the line. I need you to uh, get Deidre's information. I'll pass this on to him. By the way... uh, you never gave me that information yesterday, Christian Matos, of uh, the lovely lady from Bed-Stuy. We got to hook her up with the Earl, the home heating fuel Earl of uh, John Katsimatidis Jr., who does the commercial for that, part of the uh, Katsimatidis Enterprise. Oh, what a, what a lovely lady that was. In Bed-Stuy, do or die, she needs uh, home heating fuel Earl. Let's go to Anna Day uh, in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. You know what, Curtis? It's a great honor to be speaking with you. Uh, You and I had another conversation about, like, the crack epidemic in the 80s. And uh, my sobriety date happens to be April 9th, 1988. Never went back to sniff. Yay. But the fact of the matter is, I'm wondering whether or not, Curtis, this is like a bed bug epidemic. I mean, do you have like bites that are like in a latria? Like, in a, is it in a line? Like, blum, blum? It is uh, the worst form of scabies. It's Norwegian scabies. It's like thousands of bites. Whereas the normal scabies, you know, you have a few bites and then they spread. No, I got hit with the mother of all scabies. You know, remember... Remember the bubonic plague, the Norway rat. Remember that? The Norway rat, right? Why Why was it the Norwegian rat? And now why is it called the Norwegian scabies? Why is that? Why? What did I ever do to the squareheads? What did I ever do to the squareheads? My dad taught me that they were the greatest seafarers of all time. Housed in Bay Ridge and Sunset Park, every year they have their 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 parade to Lee Ferrickson, Eric Durant. They think they discovered the new world. You know, yeah, yeah, sure, right. Yeah, you keep thinking that. No, no chance of that. Just like the Irish, you know, Peter King. Oh, it's St. Brendan the Navigator. No chance of that. We know it was Christopher Columbus. Don't rain on our parade, all right? You want your freaking parade there? Norwegian squareheads in Bay Ridge and Sunset Park. You got it. Don't try to propagandize that. No, no, I know. Greenland, Newfoundland, uh, the Maritime Provinces. I get it. Yeah, dollar short, day late. What's with this? The Norway rat, right? Transferred the plague, and the Norwegian scabies are like the worst of the many types of scabies out there. They don't just come one. Thousands attack. A kamikaze. Bang! What is it about Norway? You would think it's so cold up there, right? Or maybe it is. Uh, I know I can't mention uh, Matriarch Cat, Athena, 
The Norwegian Forest Catchy. Oh, no, Top Shelf Five Star. I got to leave her alone. Yeah, yeah, no, we have had a, hey, we've had a battle here. Yeah, why should she have to be maligned? Why are we all looking at her? Because she's a Norwegian forest cat. Rescued, by the way, by my wife. Where? Sunset Park. Think about that, huh? No, I'm not making the connection. I'm not saying it's Athena. But all options have to be on the table, huh? Let's go to Joe and the Poconos. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Giuseppe. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? Um, I just want to tell everybody, I live every day like it's your last day. Like, you know, with warriors having dementia and the guy from the Beach Boys and Bruce Willis and all. You know, you got to live every day like it's your last day. Yeah, yeah, but Joe, you know, you got to pump up the volume, man. You, yeah, you sound like you're one of the callers to the Frank Morano show, the Mama Luke show, man. You put me to sleep in a heartbeat. Oh, I'm in the hospital right now. Oh, my God. Oh, I feel like I'm going to impale myself now. Oh, God. Oh, Joe, what? I, I apologize to you, Joe. I, I, I just lost it. I, I lost it, Joe. Oh, my God. Oh, my I have sinned. Wait, you hear how I have sinned later on in the show. Cole busted by Noam Layden, our news director. Cole busted me for St. Valentine's Day, and then he cold busted at Mama Luke Frank Morano because he's a kleptomaniac. I can't keep his hands off of people's food in the cafeteria. He says if it ain't labeled with somebody's name, he claims it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. 
boy throughout Mother Russia from the uh, Baltic satellites, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, which borders Mother Russia, out to Siberia. This song, you better get up and dance when you're at any of those Russian discos because it's top 40 with a Kalashnikov bullet for those that don't get up. The KGB will whack you right there. Just like Navalny has been whacked. And it's interesting because once this was announced, everybody knew, everybody knew that he was assassinated, he was executed. There's no doubt about it. Hours ago, I went to the Russian consulate, which is right off of Fifth Avenue uh, and 91st Street. Quite a few Russian nationals that were there protesting what uh, Putin was responsible for, not just against uh, Navalny, the most famous of all political prisoners, but the many others who were sent to their gulags to be tortured. Others intimidated. Throughout Russia, they came out with bouquets of flowers to honor Navalny, who was taking on Putin every chance he had, should have had a chance to take him on in an election, but Putin wasn't going to have any of that. No, wasn't going to have any of that. And I really, I didn't see any, uh, what I would call Americans, born and raised, out there. Now, I recognize that it had just happened, and there doesn't seem to be this uh, incredible following for Navalny outside of the Russian-American community. But I wanted to be there. I wanted to uh, pay tribute to his life and times. His picture was very haunting up on the wall of the consulate. People were giving fingers, the fingers with the uh, term almost tattooed to their hands, uh, Putin. It was a despicable totalitarian dictator who uh, recently... Uh, When uh, at the age of 100, a certain uh, iconic international figure who was involved in geopolitical affairs passed to the hereafter. Maybe some of you know who I'm talking to, a uh, little hint, hint, hint. Suggested that in about a year's time, he expects Vladimir Putin to be room temperature. Uh, well, if that is or isn't so, really doesn't matter. He's just stomping through all of his political enemies, attempting uh, to take as much uh, land as he can of the Ukraine. And he doesn't matter what it takes. He's throwing everything that he has to annihilate his enemies. And right before his coronation, because it's a supposed uh, election, he's taking out Navalny. North of Moscow in a gulag where at times you go out 42 degrees below zero, and at other times when the summer arrives, mosquitoes the sizes of horse, horses and mites just nipping away at your skin. That's life in the times of Vladimir Lenin, uh, Papa Joe Stalin, Nikita Khrushchev, Brezhnev, the old Soviet Union, and now under the new czar, Putin. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 
888-900-9222. And what a smack in the face. Imagine to his mother, his family, friends. He has a daughter who goes to Stanford. His mother has visited him in that gulag on a regular basis. But then to be told by Russian authorities with a smile on their face that Navalny had died from sudden death syndrome. Can anybody out there explain to me what sudden death syndrome is? Please, explain to me what sudden death syndrome is. And it's poor mother crying, searching for his body, while authorities mocked her grief, laughingly announcing what they say was the cause of death. They were told that the cause of death, now get this, ladies and gentlemen, at the age of 47 was sudden death syndrome. And they uh, claimed that the convict collapsed and died after he felt unwell during a walk. What, a walk in the yard with security officers at his side? But naturally, the Kremlin and Putin have denied having anything to do with uh, Navalny's death, his assassination, his execution. But others have said Putin kills whoever he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And there's not a damn thing you can do to prevent that. So Navalny is just one of many. He is the most famous. He is the one that has gotten worldwide attention. And he, without a doubt, is the bravest. Imagine who had been poisoned by the agents of Putin on his deathbed, flown to Germany, where he recovered only to return into the belly of the beast. And the moment he got off that plane on the tarmac of uh, Moscow, arrested and then charged with all kinds of crimes simply because he was going to run against Vladimir Putin for the presidency. We talk about elections being fixed against Trump, the recent cycle 2020. Come on. You know the Russian election is fixed. But Navalny was going to give it a try anyway because he had an agenda which is about democracy and freedom and giving people an opportunity to break the back of the oppression of Tsar Putin, which is a spin-off of the old Soviet Union. You know, remember how Corazon Aquino ended up becoming the president of the Philippines because her husband had returned to Manila. Remember what happened to him on the tarmac? Agents of Ferdinand Marcos shot him dead right there and said, you don't come back here. Ferdinand doesn't want you. And that ended up triggering a people's revolution that eventually led to Corazon Aquino, the wife being elected president of of the Philippines. Oh, I, I have guardian angels in the Philippines. When I went to the Philippines to visit them, they were having an insurrection. A million people came outside of the presidential palace. Different president. But uh, that's real people power. It's no different. It's more treacherous, though. He had to have known. Alexei Navalny had to have known that he was uh, going back to a certain death, that he was going to be a martyr, martyr for a cause. And we're not talking about the martyrs of Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, jumping onto the Paradise Express and being zoomed to Al-Assad. But it was sort of uh, ominous that as I was uh, walking through the hallways here in preparation uh, for the better side or the other side of midnight, 
I look up at the many TV screens here, and on CNN, they had emblazoned underneath an image of Navalny. I guess they had done some kind of documentary on him. A quote from Sir Edmund Burke, who had served in the British Parliament at the time that we went to war against the Brits for our freedom, to free ourselves of the oppression of the Crown and the Union Jack. Uh, Sir Edmund Burke was from Dublin. He was in the Whig Party. He actually spoke in support of the rebels, the Americans. And he said, when good men do nothing, evil will triumph. And I saw that emblazoned uh, under Navalny. But what I also saw when um, I went to the Russian consulate earlier on Saturday, saw so many Russians. Uh, clearly, you could see they were Russian nationals. Uh, I didn't, uh, they didn't appear to be from Brighton Beach or Sheepshead Bay, although many, many more came by the time I had to leave. They were hardcore Russians. And to them, uh, this is an ongoing battle for the soul of the country that they were forced to leave, that they'd be more than happy to return to, but they can't. They can't. They're all political prisoners. And the KGB, even here in the United States, is on their tail. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And with my many posts, and please, you can see it on my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, and my TikTok. Yeah, I'm on TikTok. I got about, what, 185,000 followers. I know many people will say, yeah, but, you know, it's catering to the uh, communist uh, regime in China. Let me tell you, it's how a lot of young people find out what's going on, unfortunately, through TikTok. And you got to go to that medium. Now, I know uh, uh, Grandpa Biden is trying to go on TikTok. That ain't going to work. Uh, Eric Adams tried to go on TikTok. That ain't going to work. No, no, no. You can't be corny. You got to be hip. You got to be happening. You got to have video that makes a difference. And I put up, well, I'm a Luddite. Uh, James Barone and Nancy who handle my social uh, networking put it up on TikTok because the youngsters need to know. And what I saw right away was uh, trolls emerging in defense of Putin and calling calling uh, Navalny a racist, a white supremacist. And I'm like, huh? Really? <laughs> You're negative towards Navalny? You might disagree with his politics. But, I mean, a guy was just executed, assassinated for his beliefs, along with so many others. Nameless, faceless individuals who stand up to Putin, who stand up to this czar, and know that their fate is also going to be in a gulag. But they do it because they know if enough people do it, eventually it will break the back of this czar. And as Henry Kissinger had predicted, yeah, see, nobody got his name. Nobody got his name, Christian Matos. I threw it out there. Who died at 100 recently. Henry Kissinger had predicted that within a year, Vladimir Putin will be room temperature and on his way to hell without an asbestos suit. And then when Tucker Carlson went and I watched uh, him uh, interviewing uh, Vladimir Putin, hey, we, we have a right to see uh, everything. We, we need to. I, I don't want anything censored. I spoke 24 hours ago how Tucker Carlson was right. The subway systems in Moscow are amazing. We have nothing comparable in America. He walked into the uh, Uber supermarkets. Okay, Tucker, let's not get too excited. 
<laughs> I traveled all throughout Russia. Man, some of some people there are lucky if they got one potato in the pot, you know. Uh, no, Not everybody has a dacha. Uh, but uh, I wanted to see. Sure, it was propaganda for Putin. There's no doubt about it. We have propaganda here for Biden. It's Trump propaganda. Everybody puts their own spin. Sliwa has his propaganda. I mean, come on. It's up to us to try to filter it out. But everything should be made available. We should have an opportunity to see for ourselves and come to our own conclusions. I trust people. I don't trust politicians to make decisions for us. Now, will people sometimes make the wrong decisions? Of course. But politicians are always making the wrong decisions. Oh, but they're oh, impotent. Well, not impotent. Some of them are. Maybe they have to take uh, Iagra, Cialis, Silvitra, the horned dogs that some of them are. But many of them consider themselves to be deities, incapable of making mistakes. All right, that's enough of the Putin song here, Christian. Uh, uh, I'm going to end up clubbing myself in the head here. But a Kalishnikov. But I got to tell you, uh, where were the Americans outside of that consulate? Now, in a few hours at 6 o'clock, there will be another gathering, candle lighting. The Russian consulate, 91st Street. Now, it, 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 this has nothing to do whether you're in favor of continuing support for Zelensky in the Ukraine. I am. I know there are others who are not. That's to be debated. That's to be determined. But you got to come out and show respect for the guy who has to be the bravest guy in our lifetime. The guy gets on a jet in Germany and heads back to Russia. And every sign is we're going to snatch you up and put you into a gulag. And I mean, I looked at a number of video clips and a few times that he has been available since. He was always smiling, always cracking jokes. You think you'd be in that? I, I know I wouldn't be cracking jokes, man. I wouldn't be smiling. I'd be I I fornicating, mad dogging. You know, I'd have that look. Remember when Trump had that mugshot down in Georgia? Yeah, we're going to be talking about Fanny, uh, Fanny Panny, whatever the hell her name is. Remember they took a mugshot of him, man. He's mad dogging. He's high fornicating. Uh, my Kumbada cheats, Rudy Giuliani. He's same thing. You know, they're using the uh, the Rico statute that Rudy first used against organized crime. We'll get to that. But every time I would see Alexei Navalny in a court hearing, he'd be smiling, cracking jokes. I mean, how many of us could do that? Put into a box, solitary confinement in a fetal position in which you ended up urinating on yourselves and, and doing other things, right? And yet you survived that, that ordeal because you have a mission, you have a cause, you know, you're one of many. They may take you out, but there are others that are going to come, and eventually, eventually, it will be undone. It may be centuries from now. Very, very few people out there. Very, very few people. He could have remained outside of Russia. Could have stayed here in the United States, right? Could have stayed in Western Europe. Look, uh, there's no doubt. If Putin would have tried to get him with his KGB agents, just don't eat sushi. Don't go on to, uh, anywhere above a third floor of a hotel or somebody will push you out. You know, it could be could be the woman uh, changing the sheets. Uh, I mean, look, they're nefarious. But he didn't have to go back. 
Everybody I've talked to about this said, why did he go back? Certain death. And when he got on that plane, he says, where's the vodka? It's time to go back to the motherland. It's time to make change. He's on a mission. He's on a mission. So please, I'm going to be there at 6 o'clock tonight for the candlelight procession. It seems it's mostly Russian nationals. We need to get Americans out there. People who are not, you know, not Russian and not Ukrainian and not East European and show solidarity for a guy. I, I don't know about you. Has to be the bravest guy I've ever known. And I've known a lot of brave guys. Without a doubt. He stared, he stared death in the eye. He did not blink. He knew the Grim Reaper was going to take him. He knew that Putin would play with him like a cat with a mouse in a number of torturous ways, like he does with all of his political prisoners. And yet he went anyway. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. When you were young and your heart was an open book, you used to say, ever-changing world in which we live in makes you give in and cry say live and let die Why didn't I play the classic back in the USSR song? No, no, no. See, that's, that's too predictable. Too, too predictable in the reissue of the classic White Album. See, I had the White Album. I went to uh, Second Avenue Records off St. Mark's, got the White Album. What a ripoff that was, right? You'd have all these White Albums. You know, somebody would sit like in a cassette recorder somewhere in a concert and, you know, he paid pennies to the dollar but what a ripoff what a ripoff can everybody remember buying those white albums at the second avenue st mark's uh, vinyl record store where they'd have a whole section of white albums i did i get ripped off every time every freaking time but i i go for it i'd say yeah this one is probably the pearl this one i'll go pearl diving yeah this one it was gonna work no nope, it never did oh hell no and so I said to my, my wife, no, I'm not going to play. I'm sorry. I'm not going to play back uh, from the USSR. They're not going to do it because I'm sure everybody else does. 
Uh, so I'm thinking through my head, Rocket to Russia, the Ramones. But I don't ever remember on that uh, album there being a song about Russia. Does anybody out there know why was the album called Rocket to Russia by the Ramones? You know, Forest Hills, the Rockaways, all right. Can never quite figure that out. I don't know how many times I listen to that album. I can never hear anything about Russia. It said, yet it says Rocket to Russia, the Ramones, huh? Anyway, let's go to the phones. Uh, Stephen from New Jersey, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis, how are you tonight? Not good. So, <laughs> well, I'm calling because uh, I wanted to share, with all the heaviness going on, I wanted to share just a short story from when I was 20 years old and had a summer relief job. I was a Fordham University student at the time, but... I had a summer relief job in the building where Jimmy Breslin and his wife, um, Ronnie Eldridge, right, uh, lived. Right. And, she was uh, the uh, she was the city council uh, woman. Was that near Central Park West? It, yeah, it was right across the street from the Tavern on the Green over there. Yep. I remember looking up one day and he was looking out the window next to his typewriter waving to me as I was walking by. So, I, yeah, I had the 11 a.m. to 7, uh, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift this one night. And uh, it was around midnight when he wandered out, going out for, for a few cocktails. And he asked me, he said, uh, what would I like? He was going to bring me back a drink. And I said, no, no, Mr. Breslin, no, 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 I, and that's okay. And he said, no, no, really, what do you want? What, what do you want to drink? And I said, okay, a vodka tonic, I said, okay. And out the door he went. And I didn't give it another thought, and a, a couple hours later, he comes wandering back, a little worse for wear, you know, and uh, didn't have my vodka tonic in his hand. But as he came through, he said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I forgot, you know. Oh, that's okay, Mr. Breslin. I said, that's okay. And I, I followed him. We went up. They lived on the second floor of the building, so it was a short ride up the little handheld, uh, the hand-operated elevator there. And I took him on, and just as he was getting out, he said, you know, the truth is, I didn't forget. I just didn't know how the hell I was going to carry it. <laughs> oh, that's so good, Stephen. <laughs> that sounds just like him. Well, Curtis, I wanted to share a little levity with you. Tonight, but I love your program. I, I love listening to you. You're the greatest. No, we got to pay tribute. What a what a great journalist. What a great scribe he was. Walking the streets, you'd see him walking around, sometimes half in a bag, as you mentioned, Stephen. But he was real to me. The Piers Beal beer guy, right? Peels. That was the first aluminum can. Remember that? And who were the two guys? Uh, the two uh, they would talk uh, radio guys, I think. They did the first Peel's beer commercials, I think, before Jimmy Breslin was in that uh, ad as a regular beer guy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Miriam from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Miriam. I'm calling from Forest Hills. Uh, to be nostalgic, do you remember the automat? Oh, yeah, Horn and Hardart, Ornament. I remember the one right downstairs from the Daily News. I think it was 3rd Avenue and 42nd Street. That was the last one, I think. It was amazing. You know, Miriam, 
They yeah. may have to do that in Dwayne Reed and CVS uh, and Walgreens, uh, basically turn the drugstores because they're always being shoplifted and boosted of products where everything is like a horn and hard art automat where, you know, you have the plastic shield, you put your coins in, and then it opens up, and then they replace it. TM had a documentary on that, the automat, and I showed it to my grandkids, a young adults. They loved it. Maybe I think I taped it. What was your favorite item of the many items they'd serve at Horn and Hart? Sandwiches, the egg sandwiches. Right, I remember they'd and have. I love the coffee coming out of the um, swan on the wall, and everything was a nickel. The coffee, they had great coffee, Horn and Hart. for a nickel, and, and it was a great operation. Yeah, and they had a, an army behind the, the wall there, preparing all the food so that it was fresh. Curtis, I saw you last week with Sid. Oh, you were at the Fifth Avenue. Joel Soderman, who ran the thing, is a personal friend of mine. And I love Sid. I love you. And I will always support you. I'm the and man. I told you that. Now, I'm going to honor the comedian on Monday morning. We have not given out his name. I have it. Was he not one of the funniest guys you've ever heard? Dunn was hysterical. It was so funny. This guy, I'm telling you, this guy could be the new Seinfeld. He was that good. Beautifully, too. You always do. Yeah, 705. You got to be listening Monday with Sid because he he couldn't remember the guy's name and I couldn't remember. I can tell you what. You want me to give it to you? Yes, of course. Let me do it. Well, I hate to waste your well, time. Well, no, but... don't you not waste my time. The one I could have done without was the Jewish rapper. Oh, my God. I it's... agree with you. Yeah, he was horrible. I done also without the 613. I just like the comedian. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the comedian was amazing. Uh, Dove Hyken was amazing. Uh, you know, I had to leave after I gave my spiel because I had to come back here to do the show. I was stung God. It was like 30 hours I only had two hours of sleep, and it showed. I was like, uh, I was in, uh, I mean, I was I was talking in tongues on WABC. And my ratings were never higher. You're good. You're very, do you ever sleep? Nah, there'll be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. There's nothing else to do when you're dead, Miriam. They fold your arms. Uh, they put you in a cardboard box, you know, with a half suit, half shoes, and that's it. Sayonara, you're gone. Curtis, I'm the one you always saw at the elevator when you took Hunter upstairs uh, to nursery. Oh, wow. Oh, Hunter. Was good. He's having his bar mitzvah on March 2nd. I'm going to be the proud papa there. I know. Well, not that synagogue. You're going the, the you go, you're not going through my synagogue, Forestville Jewish Center. No, the no they, they wouldn't let me up at the Beamer. What they did that to you, I don't know. The name of the comedian was Dan Nurturman. That's right, Dan Nurturman. Would you please tell everybody how good he was, Miriam? He was hilarious. He was hilarious. I mean, like, that's one laugh after the other. He was just, and he was very topical. 40 minutes of stand-up. Normally, if they can do more than 13 minutes, it's amazing. 40 minutes, and Sid was sitting right behind me slapping me on the back so hard I had to go for a chiropractic adjustment the next day. He made everybody in that audience laugh. Sid's wonderful also, and I think my I think my husband was one of his teachers at Kingsborough. Oh, wait, at Kingsborough, yeah, they, they won't honor him. You know that, Miriam? They will not honor him there because he has become King David. He has rediscovered his Jewish roots, 
And you would think he's one of the most famous people ever to graduate Kingsborough Community College. That's right. My husband was a teacher. I asked him last week. Yeah, we got. We have to have a movement. We got to force this issue. They can't get away with this. Uh, you know who used to be the chancellor of Kingsborough Community College? I went there to speak one time a long time ago. Rudy Giuliani's first wife. And the, I, rem- well, I don't remember her, but I remember be- hearing that. Oh, she couldn't be nicer. She was, you know, this is before Donna Hanover, who was from television that Rudy married. She also was very nice, Donna Hanover. My husband, my brother-in-law was um, cameraman in W's picks when she was uh, doing uh, news. Yeah, I met met Donna Hanover, who was the mother of Andrew Giuliani, who will be on uh, on with me at 8 o'clock in just a few hours. And her first interview with me was in Miami. She was the head anchor. I had just come from Liberty City starting the Guardian Angels there. I mean, that was the area of drive-by shootings, all kinds of uh, crimes. And I remember I said, wow, she is a good interview. And then she, she met Rudy, came to New York. And I'll tell you this much. As good as Rudy was on the campaign, the second time he ran against David Dinkins, his uh, campaign manager, who was David Garth, said... The, the public wants to see more of Donna Hanover. And Rudy brought her out to more of the events than he had the first time when he barely lost. I think she could well have been the difference. She was also a competitor of mine when I was doing morning radio at WABC. She was on over at WOR. She was good. She was good, Miriam. And I'm telling you, that Fifth Avenue synagogue, you know who provides the security for the Fifth Avenue synagogue off-duty, an off-duty guardian angel, GQ. Really? He's been doing that. He's been a guardian angel with us since 1983. He leads the security team there because, naturally, every Jewish facility, whether it happens to be religious or historical, is always subject to vandalism or an attack, but... I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen out there, you better be listening Monday, 7.05. I'm going to do a tribute to what I think will be the next Jerry Seinfeld, Dan Nerdeman, right? Nerdeman. I, I've, I've lost it. Whatever I just said, because I, I went to my uh, phone to get that. And... Oh, he was so good, so good, Miriam. And all week, we were like fumbling and stumbling. We were promising to bring his name to everybody's attention. 40 minutes to stand up. I mean, they used to do that in the Borscht Belt. I'll never never forget it was Pat, not Pat Carroll, what am I talking about? The great Italian comedian of all time. Oh, man, man, see, I I may be my first wave of dementia. Uh, We were at a benefit. He said, watch, Curtis, look at all these old-time Jewish comedians. Uh, They're going to be stealing my lines, writing it on the napkins. And he was right, they were. <laughs> uh, Pat French. No, no, Pat Cooper. Pat Cooper! Oh, without a doubt, man, that guy was like on fire. He was a Gatling gun. Pat Cooper! Who could forget Pat Cooper, right? In every Italian-American household, you had the vinyl. You had the album of the Pat Cooper comedy album. Am I right or wrong? one 800 Don't forget the name. Dan Nurtureman, you get a feeling he's the next Seinfeld. He's good. And everybody there at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue a week ago to honor the new King David. 
Sid Rosenberg was saying, man, this kid is good. He's real good. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Scrape the barnacles off your backside. Get your ear and gear. You got to come out and commemorate Navalny. Outside the Russian consulate, 6 o'clock, a few hours from now. Hey, it's cold out there, so bundle up with three pairs of long woolen underwear on, you know, with the union flap in the back in case you got to go, okay? You know, it's like, I you sit on the porcelain palace. You don't got the flap on the back. Uh-oh. So uh, I'm going to be there. Six o'clock. Can't stay too long. I know it'll be a candlelight procession. You got to let the Ruskies know. Got to let the uh, Putniks know there that this ain't this ain't going to go down. And now that the country itself is wrapped in the argument whether we should continue to support Zelensky in the Ukraine and their battle against the uh, the Tsar Putin and his horde it's turned into a real meat grinder there. That argument will continue. I'm on the side of Zelensky and the Ukraine. I know others differ, but I don't know how you could be on the side of Putin. I do not know how you could be on the side of Putin. I don't care. Tucker Carlson, I watched. I watched the interview. It's important. All sides need to be heard. We need to come to our own conclusions, but... I can see how he was being steered in a certain direction, having spent probably more time in Moscow than uh, Tucker Carlson had back in 1994, when the oligarchs were carving up the richness of Mother Russia, stealing it for themselves from the Russian people, like the Russian people have been robbed so often through the centuries. Going back to Peter the Great, boy, you you just travel that country and you see, look at the enormity of the riches here. Wealthy, wealthy country. And it's in the hands of so few. So few. But there are things there that you have to praise. That subway system is, I mean, it's a marvel. I've never seen anything like it. I've traveled subway systems all over the world. Some of which the Guardian Angels patrol. Nothing like it. It is just mind-boggling. A museum on every station. Deep in the bowels of Moscow. Three levels down, built before World War II. Hundreds died in the building of it. Old subway trains, and they arrive within a millisecond on a Timex watch. You can watch it on a girder. We don't have that here. Clean, clean enough you can eat off the platforms. Women with babushkas on their heads, and their job is just to keep sweeping and mopping, sweeping and mopping. It's a country of incredible extremes. Things are either incredibly good or incredibly bad. There seems to be no middle ground. 
come on, show up at 6 o'clock. It really bothered me that the only folks that were out there were Russian nationals. You know, obviously they were married to the concepts of Navalny. But he was espousing American attitudes. Freedom, democracy, debate, elections. That's something that a lot of these totalitarian dictators just don't want. And then when they have them, they're fake. It's already predetermined. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go all the way down in Florida to Eddie in Tampa. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Yeah, Curtis, uh, a couple of things. One on the foreign thing, France is, uh, along with Germany, are doing a security pact, and France has given them uh, like 300 uh, euros. And back home here closer to uh, the U.S., Louisiana, uh, Jeff Landry, he's the governor of Louisiana, he issued an executive order uh, because he's 1,800 uh, sheriffs short. So expect crime to go up in that state. Yeah, now let's get back to France and Macron and Germany. Now you said 300 euros. You must have meant 300 million euros, right? Right, right. Yeah, I saw that on France 24 on Friday. No, hey, hey, see, that's very astute of you. You don't just watch American news. You watch foreign news, which I try to do whenever I get an opportunity because I want to see their spin on things. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. That in Spanish, and uh, yeah, I watch everything. No, no, that's good. You see, again, that's why I trust people like yourself, Eddie, and not politicians, because if it's out there, I know if you have the time, some people don't have the time to do it, you go out and you research for yourself, and you look, and you see, well, how are the French reporting it? How are the Germans reporting it, the English? How are the Italians reporting it? Because it's important. You know, we, we're so myopic in America. You know, uh, you say it's lucky if people were, oh, you know, St. Petersburg might as well be a, in a different country for some people in Florida, even though it's connected by the causeway to Tampa. Right, right. By the way, where in Tampa do you live? I'm near uh, Bush Gardens. I'm in North Tampa. You know, I told that story, did you hear, 24 hours ago that I took my wife Nancy uh, on our honeymoon to North Tampa. We had a guardian angel convention, and I was really missed the big stuff. Who do you think I was? We stayed at a Motel 6, and I couldn't wait to get across the street to uh, my favorite place, Waffle House, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) She hates me to this day. To this day, she what the hell kind of honeymoon was that? Oh, hell no. I said, hey, I, I had guardian angel stuff to do. I combined the two. And you know, Eddie, I, you got Waffle Houses all over Florida. There ain't nothing better in the world. Walk in. Nobody's got teeth. They're all wearing aprons that have been stained for like six months. You get incredible refills of watered-down coffee, and you can feed an army for $9.99. Am I right, Eddie? Right, you're right. You're 100% right. Yep. Okay, now now let's go back to Louisiana. Governor Landry, you're right. I got guardian angels down in New Orleans. It's a hot mess. You know, there you got the uh, sheriffs in the parishes. And they are short men and women, and it's high crime to begin with. I mean, it's high crime. Whether it's it's the Catholic part of Louisiana, you know, which uh, the booze flows 24 hours, or it's the northern part 
where it takes you three days to get up enough spit in your uh, moisture in your mouth to spit because they are dry counties. That crime is high there, Eddie. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, live and let die, you were just playing that. That was uh, partially filmed in New Orleans. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's the famous uh, alligator jump. Remember Roger Moore jumping those uh, alligator, crocodiles, whatever? No. Yeah, boy, you're giving me flashback here. No. No, I, I forgot. Although, you know what it reminds me of for a while? He was doing a reality show before he fled to Moscow. Now he is uh, Putin's best buddy, uh, yeah. Seagal. And he was, uh, you know, he was working in one of the parishes in Louisiana, I think on the other side of the Mississippi. And he busted the wrong guy. They kicked in the wrong door. They grabbed the wrong people out. And that was it. They were suing him for every nickel, diamond, and penny he had. And he fled to Russia. Yep. Good stuff, Eddie. Good stuff. And by the way, what's, you, what's the temperature down in Tampa? Uh, it's in the 50s. We're getting rain this weekend. Hey, next weekend I'll be at the Billy Joe and Sting concert next weekend here at the big stadium. So looking forward to that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that'll be packed. That'll be packed to the rafters. Goes from New York. Yeah, he's going to be doing the transplant concert over here. Well, enjoy yourself, Eddie, and thanks for uh, connecting here to WABC. All right. Thank you. See that? We got it like that, Christian Mantos. We got calls from all over the place. All over. There's a worldwide network. When the sun goes down, WABC can be heard in 172 countries. And John Katsimatidis is working on Antarctica. I think John and Margo and Chad, they're not far away. I think they're down in West Palm Beach. At least I heard, right? Wasn't that Cousin Brucey riffing on that? How come I didn't know that? They're probably trying to outdo Soros. You know, Soros is on a shopping spree buying up radio stations. There are radio combines of multiple radio stations they're like uh, just about bankrupt. You know, they're on the block, uh, Chapter 11. Soros picked up 122, like 50 cents on a dollar. He wants to control the message because his team of progressive socialists have done the analytics. They know that the people most likely to vote are the people who are engaged, people who listen. To news talk radio, people who listen to talk radio, people who listen to news radio. Two of the stations that he just bought, again, at a bargain basement sellout because these huge combines are losing money. Hand over fist. 1010 WINS, WCBS 880. And now he'll probably end up having an effect on the way the news is presented. Because they know who is more likely to vote. You think somebody listening to FM music, right? Freeform uh, music, you know, uh, rock music, um, alternate rock music. You, you really think they vote? Yes, yeah, some of them, but not most of them. Like, yeah, that's why they're FM. Freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly. Free marijuana, and of course, uh, that Mama Luke Frank Morano, who you're going to listen to later. No Maiden co-busted him. Our news director, he's a kleptomaniac. His attitude is, if he goes into the refrigerator in our cafeteria set up here by Margot Katzmatidis, I mean, she packs it full of all kinds of goodies. He can take anything as long as somebody's name ain't on it. So Christian Matos, you better, man, you better get duct tape 
and get a Sharpie and make sure your name is on it or he's going to eat it up. And he tells you boldly and brazenly, I got it like that. Well, no, no, Noam Layden confronted him, but unfortunately turned the tables on me and found out that I had used technology on Nancy, who was on the rip and read with me on Valentine's Day, as she is twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, doing the, doing the deep dive as an e-attorney. I gave her a gift, but it wasn't her gift. Wait till you hear it. You, no, you ain't going to sleep, man. <laughs> we both get cold busted by the news director, Noam Lane. We couldn't, we couldn't get away with it. See, that's the checks and balances here at WABC. We're a dysfunctional family. You know how everybody likes to say, we are family, right? What is that, Sister Sledge? Yeah, we are a dysfunctional family here at WABC. But it works. It works. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And for some reason, people uh, proportionally have a propensity to want to talk about what is plaguing me and now my wife, Nancy. Yes, I may not have given a a gift to my wife, Nancy. I may have bamboozled her by putting a gift uh, in front of her that was actually Leslie Slender, one of our best salespeople of all time. I just took the (laughs) name card off of (laughs) it. You'll get more details from Noam Layden. You know what she got from me, Christian Matos? Scabies. Hopefully she doesn't have the Norwegian type. Oh, my God. And we're finally on the path of recovery. Me, after more than three torturous months, having been hooked into uh, a great doctor by a a name uh, that resonates in the... uh, in the world of production, movie production and writing, Kevin Breslin, son of Jimmy Breslin, Dr. Joel Casimir, who is treating both of us. Nancy does not have the more severe form that I have. I still haven't been able to figure out how the, how the hell can I end up with Norwegian scabies? Thousands of bites. Anyway, let's go to Anthony in Nassau. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Anthony. I love you, man. I love you. So much respect for you, Curtis. Listen, about the scabies, hey, you put a little hydrogen peroxide on it when you dry yourself getting out of the shower. That'll help get rid of it. You know, when I was younger, I had the crabs. They were so big, I thought they were the lobsters. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'd be happy to have scabies. Now, uh, yeah, I, caught them, I that... caught them from some chick. She had she had to clap. She had to clap so many times, it was more like an applause. Oh, unbelievable. hell no. Let me tell you, you are no Dan Nutriman. See, I mentioned comedian that we didn't recognize me and sit at that great Fifth Avenue synagogue performance enshrining him as King David II a week ago on Saturday night. And right away now, everybody wants to do open mic like Anthony. Anthony. Let's go to Phil, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Phil. What happened to Phil? Phil dropped like a hot rock. Let's see if you can hook him up again. Uh, try Christian Matos again. A little bit of blowback there from the discronificator. That's normally used to the nimble fingers of Broadway Bill Lee, who's still playing shuffleboard with uh, with Warner Wolf down in Fort Myers. Uh, Phil, you there? Yes, I'm here, Curtis. 
Yes, Phil. Well, what can I do for you tonight? Uh, well, I just want to talk about, uh, you know, the uh, really disgraceful uh, situation at St. Patrick's on February 15th where uh, Cardinal Doan allowed uh, a funeral for a transgender uh, person in the Holy Catholic Church of the Diocese of New York. Now, uh, Phil, I, I did hear about that. And obviously uh, it did occur. But are you aware what used to go on in the rectory of St. Patrick's Cathedral between J. Edgar Hoover and Drag and a certain Cardinal Spellman? Are you aware of that, Phil? No, sir, I'm not. Uh, I was born in 65. Uh, so, no, I'm not familiar with that situation, unfortunately. Well, let me educate you here, Phil. Uh, there's a high school named after Cardinal Spellman up in the Bronx. Quite a few people listening now and said, say it ain't so, Curtis, say it ain't so. Yeah, it's so. J. Edgar Hoover had a propensity to dress up in drag, and he would frolic with Cardinal Spellman and other invited guests in the rectory, which is right there, right there. Yeah, you can see it. What is that, Madison Avenue? Cardinal Dolan lives in now. Now, he, he, that's not him, but back then it was well-known. And uh, different into individuals who were into that uh, drag uh, thing of theirs were known to frequent St. Patrick's uh, Rectory whenever J. Edgar Hoover was in town. Well, what a piece of work he was, right? They should take the name off that FBI building. There's a guy who said there was no such thing as organized crime because him and his boyfriend, the number two guy in the FBI, would go across to Arlington where they would play. They were degenerate gamblers. And they couldn't quite figure out why they were always winning the thoroughbred races. Because the head of organized crime, Costello, was fixing them. So they would win. And so what did he say in return? There is no such thing as organized crime. Get out of here. That's why people say, oh, the FBI. You know, that's not the FBI that it used to be. When the hell was the FBI ever good? What, 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 J. Edgar Hoover with his little black book? J. Edgar Hoover, who was like living in a closet and then going after fellow gays and ruining their life? And uh, he liked to put on dresses and mascara and be a drag queen with Cardinal Spellman. Well-known fact. Some of you say, ah, you're a Catholic hater, Slaver. I understand you're an AMP Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday, then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. Yeah, that's true. I am an AMP Catholic. But the truth has to be told. Hey, look, if Dolan decided to let a transgender have a funeral mass in St. Patrick's Cathedral, hey, from time to time, Catholic churches against the edicts of the church have allowed mobsters choking on their lobsters to have high holy masses. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com.
Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. ABC and Curtis Lewa. Remember the first time you heard this song by the Doobie Brothers, Jesus is Just All Right by Me. Remember it like it was yesterday, 1972. I'd just been kicked out of high school by the Jesuits my senior year halfway through. Kicked to the curb at Brooklyn Prep. Best thing that ever happened to me, you learn the consequences for your actions. Uh, But I never looked back. Never went on to further education, never got my GED, never went to college. No, 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 never. I just kept moving forward, but I'll never forget this song. Hit it! <laughs> 
I said to myself, man, who are these guys? They're singing a religious song, but it's classic rock. They're not religious because they weren't holy rollers. And just saying, you have to understand if you lived in the time, being just all right by me was like, eh, neither great nor terrible, right? I mean, uh, at the time, in the 70s. So my, I extrapolated from that that the Doobie Brothers were saying that Jesus is just all right by me, meaning he's neither great nor terrible. And I said to myself, yeah, but in rock and roll, singing about Jesus? Now, remember, there was a big hippie counterculture movement there in which some were thinking that they were Jesus. So I'm thinking maybe that's why they've built the bridge between gospel and rock. And then when I began to investigate, I realized it really wasn't the Doobie Brothers. And not the Doobie Brothers with Michael McDonald. Oh, he was great for the Doobie Brothers, you know. Uh, he was, I think he was with um, Steely Dan at the time. He hadn't come over yet. This was original Doobie Brothers, Tom Johnson, guitar, vocalist, Patrick Simmons. Dave Chagrin, bassist, John Hartman, drummer. What a great band. What a great band. I mean, <laughs> I think of all those taking it to the streets, long train running. Really great songs. Never really got, but this, this song stuck out. I'm pumping gas at Rocky Shell Station. You know what shift I was doing, Christian Matos? The overnight shift. 11 o'clock to 8 in the morning. Gee. Yeah. Like I'm doing now. I love being there overnight. I love. Oh, I had so many situations unfold. But I had my boombox there. And I would hear this coming out. WNEW Freeform Radio. And I would say, gee, what the hell are the Jews in Kanachi going to think if they hear this while they're driving by? Because it was like half and half. Mezza, mezza, poco, poco. You got the Italians. You had the Jews, and then you had the blacks who lived in Bayview Projects right next door. I figured, what are they going to say when they hear And you know, it was just such a good beat, such a good song. I don't think they listen to these words. And I'm interested in knowing what you thought when you first heard this jam. Jesus. Were they holy rollers? Hmm? Jesus, well, he's my friend. Or was it just classic rock with a little Jesus sprinkled on it? He took me by the hand. He let me pull on this land. Later on, I was to find out that it wasn't the Doobie Brothers who had the first version. It was actually the Birds in the Ballad of Easy Rider. I mean, the Doobie Brothers, that, that album, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. That was Toulouse Street. That was a great album. And then I find out it was written actually by some Art Reynolds singer before that. 
So it had like three variations. But I think we're ready to get into it right now. Christian Matos, cue it up. What a song. Jesus is us all right by me. Gentlemen, uh, what did you think when you first heard this song coming out of the classic rock station that you were listening to? For me, it was WNEWFM. What about for you? 1-800-848-9222. And if you happen not to be a Christian, or more likely a Jew, what the hell did you think then? Oh, my God. Uh, the Holy Rollers have taken over rock and roll, classic rock and roll. 1-800-848-9222. And then to know that it was the birds who first sang this song in classic rock. And before that, some guy named Hart Reynolds who I'd never heard of before. 1-800-848-9222. And some of you are like, yeah, I remember. Where were you when you heard that song? What did you think? Don't tell me you had it figured out from day one. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. What the hell are they singing about Jesus on WNEW-FM? Hmm. The Nightbird, yeah. Yeah, Allison Steele playing this jam. Didn't sound to me that she was all that spiritual. She was like new agey, holistic, all of that. I mean, she was the best at WNEW-FM. They had a lot of good jocks, uh, free-form music. But, man, it's like set it off. Oh, and there's one coming up that was even better. Wait, hey, hey, look, you never know what you're going to get here at WABC. You never, ever know what you're going to get here at WABC. And it just reminded me that there are a lot of bands out there who have never really gotten their proper due. With all the changes they've gone through, Doobie Brothers, I'm thinking to myself, that album, Toulouse Street, that I first heard this from, Blackwater, China Grove. It keeps you running. Listen to the music. Long train running. Minute by minute. Real love. Rocking down the highway. Take me in your arms. Taking it to the streets. What a fool believes. Right? That's just a few of their classics. Really good stuff. And then when Michael McDonald's came on from Steely Dan because Tom Johnson had some problems. He was the lead singer. Man, it took it to a whole new level. Michael McDonald never really gets his due. I'm telling you. That's why this is entertainment. I know that some of you, you oh, no, you know, I want to talk, uh, you know, Trump. No, sorry. I want to talk Biden. No, I'm no, sorry. Hunter Biden, I don't care if it was just cocaine in the White House. I really don't know. We know it was just cocaine. What the hell? Of course it probably was. Well, you're fixated on that. Oh, let me hear this again. Wow. See, it's almost like the music was talking to you. I'm running out there. I'm pumping gas. Remember, this is leaded gas at the time. There's high test. There's regular. And they first had the first unleaded gasoline that nobody bought. Nobody bought that. They want high test. They come in with their Corvette. Yeah, yeah. And they get like a mile and a half a gallon. 
Then you have the Gabons there, like, collecting coins. You know, like, yeah, we need some high tech, man. They roll in with a, a Pontiac GTO all jacked up. They get maybe, like, two and a half miles on a gallon. Hey, what do you want? I want high test. How much you got? $1.28. And that was all the change. And then I had to look at the change, and it looked like some of it were Confederate coins or foreign coins. You know, hey, it's no good. I got to see your change first before I start pumping. What, you don't trust us? No. A dollar twenty-eight a high test. What did they go around the block four times so the girly girlies could eyeball them and say, oh, I hope Vinny takes me out in that Pontiac GTO over to Plum Beach. I will give him the time of his life. Meantime, what am I on? I'm on a Schwinn bicycle at that time, right? Oh, my God. Let me hear it. By the way, what did you Jews do when you heard this? Did you feel like, I can't have my mom and daddy or this or the rabbi? I'll get excommunicated. They'll think I'm a Jew for Jesus. not holy rollers the doobie brothers were not holy rollers at all and i still haven't been able to figure out why let's go to joe in new york your turn to be heard here at wabc joe hi curtis thanks for letting me come on first of all jesus is king of kings and lord of lords second of all jesus says you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Okay? Yeah, but so, Joe, Joe, do you really think that's what the Doobie Brothers meant by singing this? Because they acknowledged they were secular. They were not religious at all. So I'm, I'm focusing on that they said something about Jesus being a friend. Jesus is a friend. He's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. Right, right, definitely. And that's why I think a lot of people who uh, loved uh, gospel music really adapted to this, even though it was classic rock. They said, wow, this is another way of getting our message out to a generation, particularly at that time. I, I was very cognizant of it. There was like blowback to the hippie culture. The counterculture all of a sudden had Jesus. It was a whole Jesus movement involved in it. Yes, back then there was a big Jesus movement. Definitely. Notice, also, notice, uh, isn't it interesting, Joe, how the whole persona of Jesus is attractive to so many parts of our society, the very conservative part, the very liberal progressive part. Everybody wants to extrapolate, what would Jesus do? Jesus. So you have real hardcore conservatives you know, who are true believers in Jesus. And then you have the liberal progressives, liberational theologists. And then you have the people who are like hippy-dippies who believe that they walk, they talk, and they're acting like Jesus. Fascinating. I wonder if any of you ever thought of that when you heard that song. I was, like, blown away, shocked. 
Allison Steele, right? The Nightbird, WNEW. I first heard it. Campy. Campy. Must have, must have been a holy roller station, right? What? What's the number one song? The number one song at a time with the hippie culture, right? Just three years from Woodstock. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then something that struck me even more odd when we come back, more odd than the Doobie Brothers singing their classic, Jesus, it's just all right by me. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This was a one-hit wonder. As much as I was confused by the Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right by me. This song by Norman Greenbaum, a one-hit wonder, defied all logic. You probably remember it just like I do. Spirit in the Sky. You remember when you first heard this song before the Doobie Brothers' Jesus is Just So Right with me? But it was a one-hit wonder. And its author, check out the name. I thought to myself, what the hell is going on? The Holy Rollers are taking over classic rock. But this was a Jew, Norman Greenbaum, and not just any Jew. I mean, we're talking from Malden, Massachusetts, an Orthodox Jew who went to Hebrew school. I mean, straight lace, booker boy. Who knows? Maybe eventually wearing a black hat. Hardcore. He was hardcore Orthodox. And then something happened. Something that I cannot scratch the surface of and figure out. He decided to pack his bags and leave Malden, Massachusetts. And head to the decadent, debaucherous city of City of Angels. Los Angeles. And he got gripped into the psychedelic era big time. And he joined Dr. West's medicine show and junk band. Oh, oh, yeah, I bet you you remember that, Christian Matos. Of course you did not. The Dr. West Medicine Show and Junk Band. And you know what was their only song of any significance, and it didn't even make the top 1,000? The eggplant that ate Chicago. 
I mean, these folks were tripping on acid big time. Oh, Jesus. The eggplant that ate Chicago. And then he writes this, Spirit in the Sky, which is all about Jesus. And he wasn't oh, a, Jesus. And he was not a Jew for Jesus. He was an Orthodox Jew by birth. Who went to Hebrew school, a Booker boy. This one record sold two million copies. The number one record in all of America. I mean, what the hell did Jewish people do when they heard this, right? Did they turn it off? Did they say, hey, I love the beat, I love the music, hey, it's one of our peeps. And do you know what he said? His motivation was Norman Greenbaum for writing this song, Spirit in the Sky. Western movies. Because eventually you would see a tombstone right out out of town, you know, after gunslingers would have their high noon. And he said, yeah, they were buried in, you know, the tombstone, I guess. They thought they were going to the Spirit in the Sky. It was based on his propensity that he loved watching Western movies. Movies. Boy, he must have been on some serious acid, man. 1969. Here we go again. 1969, right? The summer of what? You didn't see him in Woodstock. I have a million strong. No, no, no. The Miracle Mets. First man landing on the moon. How many things happened in 1969 for you baby boomers like me? So significant. I was, uh, what, I was 15, right? Yeah, 15, 1954. I'm soon, March 26, going to be 70. And I can remember the summer of 69 like it was yesterday. A lot of rain that summer of 69. I remember I was delivering meat at my my uncle Jimmy Scavone's butcher shop across from Canarsie High School. On Avenue K off of Rockaway Parkway, they had the grocery store in the front, the butcher shop in the back, and I was the gut buster. I was making this sausage in the refrigerator. My uncle Jimmy Scavone would say, "Hey kid, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna drive me into the poorhouse." Remember when they would use that term? You're gonna drive me into the poorhouse. You're putting too much veal, too much beef in the sausage. More pork, more pork sausages, mom. Remember? And this was the number one hit, the summer of 69, going into 70, right? The era of Woodstock, Mountain, really the first heavy metal group. This song, one hit wonder, no no other hits. Can anybody explain it out there? Can anybody explain what they thought when they heard this jam? The number one classic rock song in all of America and all of the world. Two million copies sold. Talking about Jesus, the spirit in the sky. The Holy Rollers Rollers must have thought, oh my God, we'll eventually take over the decadence and hedonism of the hippie movement. Jesus will co-opt them because they're all starting to look like Jesus with the long hair. You know, the clothes, they all wanted that Jesus look. It was like the conflating, the merging of these two separate societies. At least people thought that. It didn't turn out that way. But briefly, there was that perception. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jay. The Natty Boy, Vine Street over the Rhine, Cincinnati. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Curtis, hey, guess what? Remember the uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, which also came out during that time? That's right. Jesus Christ Superstar. You're absolutely correct. They, uh, they made Jesus into a hippie back in the day, didn't they? The hippies had the Jesus look. Remember, so many of the hippies had that Jesus look. My uh, my older brother's your age, and my older sister's a couple years older than you. So I, I listened to all that music, and it was just over and over, it seemed like. You had the top 40, and they, they played it all the time. What did you think, though, when you first heard it? Because remember, when rock and roll, which was considered decadent and debaucherous, hit Elvis Presley, you know, all of that, the British invasion, no references to Jesus. They were with the Maharashi Yogi, you know, at the... Uh, Ashram in India, they all were into like transcendental meditation, a lot of the groups. Um, there was no Jesus uh, mentioning. And then this cluster of songs about Jesus. Ten years old, so I, I wasn't a real deep thinker at that time. But I do remember the, Mahari, the, the Beatles and the Maharishi. My neighbor was into that stuff big time and smoking too much weed probably also. You know, uh, the Doors, my favorite group, some of the members there, uh, they've actually first met at a transcendental meditation conference. I don't know if the Maharishi Yogi was there, but some of his disciples. It seems so many in the rock world were seeking religion, but they would not accept the tenets of the Christian religion through Jesus. They had to try to find some, uh, you know, some yogi out there, some... Uh, Somebody, you know, from Eastern medicinal, uh, meditational philosophy that they could go to an ashram and find out that that was full of beans also. They wanted it their own way. My sister carried a book, uh, Good News for Modern Man. It was their version of the Bible. You know, so they had to rewrite everything, it seems. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, now, question, Jay, uh, living there as a natty boy. There was, if you remember, at Riverfront Stadium, the Who were in concert. And remember, there were so many people pouring in to listen to them at Riverfront Stadium. A stampede course, what was it, a dozen people to die? Uh, Eleven people. I was there that night with my brother-in-law, okay? And uh, unfortunately, it was a small town of Finneytown, which is north north of town, the uh, a lot of those kids went there. They were young, younger kids, teenagers, young teenagers. And that's the last time when they sent their kids off to that concert, that's the last time they saw their children. It was uh, two doors were opened at the Coliseum. And you can thank Cincinnati's finest for not opening more doors. It was human toothpaste is what that was like, Curtis. Wow. And you remember it because you were there. Vividly, yes. I uh my feet were off the ground. I, I got my hands above my head, and I couldn't breathe. I was being crushed so much. And if you fell down, that was it, man. You were trampled. And it was just uh, unbelievable. They would not open any more doors. I went out later to use the facilities, the bathroom, and I saw all these shoes. I saw coats. I thought all these clothes. I thought, how do people lose all these clothes? I hadn't realized what happened. The band didn't know what happened. It was, uh, it was tragic. Really was. What do you think it is about the human psyche 
that they keep pushing forward. We had that happen on the campus of City University in New York, Nate Holman Gymnasium. Uh, P. Diddy uh, and some other rapper were putting on a uh, a uh, basketball game, celebrity basketball game involving uh, entertainers and rappers and basketball players. And about 13 people were killed and crushed because all the doors weren't open. What do you think it is about the human psyche that they keep pushing forward? I liken it to Mecca because they do the same thing happens in Mecca all the time. It's a religious fervor. These kids, they want to go in and see this bad boy band image. You know, they had to go see it, and nothing was going to stop them. And there were just groups of young men in the back pushing and shoving, and they had to get in. It was uh, it was open seating is what caused all that. And they could have opened the doors up, you know, an hour, two hours ahead, but they didn't. They waited till 15 minutes before the band did their uh, startup, their sound check, and everybody thought the band started, and it just it just took off like a maniacs. It was, it was unbelievable. It really was. Uh, we're going full cycle. See how Jay was there. Now we've taken him full. This is what this has become. This medium of ours. No, I'm no Maharishi yogi. No, this is no transcendental meditation. No, this is not the ashram of WABC broadcasting. No. I remember when I was a kid. Was living on for one year, 88th and Boyd, Ozone Park. Right where the A train passes by the Leffords Boulevard and the other one, Ahmad Avenue, Far Rockaway. And my older sister, Alita, she went to St. Stanislaus there. It was a Christmas show. There was a movie theater right on the corner there, Rockaway Avenue and Woodhaven Boulevard. I think it became a Models, Mitch Models, but it was a movie theater for a long time. And I remember there was a crush. I was online with my sister and her friends. And I got sucked in underneath because I was small and pushed up against the door. And the people inside weren't letting anybody in yet. And I know exactly what that feeling was like. The Jay, the natty boy from Vine Street and over the over the Rhine was describing. I thought, man, that was it. And luckily somebody put their arm in some young teenage boy who uh, who knows who he is, if he's still alive, and snatched me out of there because I was being crushed up against that door. I bet you some of you remember that theater, that movie theater right on the corner of Rockaway in the shadow of the A-Train, Woodhaven Boulevard. It's now a Mitch, uh, well, Models. Models is out of business. But it was a very popular movie theater back then. And, oh, boy, I remember my sister, my older sister, Alita, crying, crying. Oh, my God, I hope you're okay. I hope you're okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Got to be a brick. Although I think I was crying. Oh, man, that's weak. What the hell was I crying for? I don't want to remember that. I got to believe I didn't cry. I got to believe I was crushed up against that glass door, and I handled it like a brick, not... Let's go to, uh, I think it's Amos uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Amos. Yes, good morning. Uh, I just wanted to say, I don't know what these people's uh, motives was about singing the song, but a lot of people uh, sing about Jesus. Or they do things uh, uh, in the name of Jesus, but it says in the Bible that Jesus will say to a lot of them, I never knew you. So just because you, you do something or you... 
you sing about, uh, you know, there's people who go to, uh, Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. Do you know that part in the Bible? No, no, you want to, uh, you want to cite verse, uh, we could sound a little bit like the Greg Kelly show. Uh, go ahead, feel free to. Well, uh, he does say there's a lot of people who are going to do uh, things in his name and uh, do all kinds of rituals or whatever, and uh, and he's going to say to them directly, I never knew you. They, uh, You know, they, people think they're going to do uh, things, sing about Jesus, and uh, that's going to give them a ticket to go to heaven. It, uh, it's not going to work. And he said, all those who do my Father's will, uh, you know, are going to be in. So uh, there's going to be a lot of people going to be rejected, people who do uh, things in the name of Jesus or sing or whatever. But I'm not going to judge these people who sing about them because I don't know their motives because Jesus said also said, do not judge. In other words, don't make a final uh, judgment about people because if you're wrong, that's the judgment that's going to be uh, placed on you. It's going to be landing on your head. Ooh, sound a little bit like the Greg Kelly show there, you know. Listen to Greg, man, you get the church ladies there citing scripture. Although Amos uh, wasn't wasn't kind of citing scripture. He was giving us an overall analysis. How the hell did these Jesus songs work their way into the counterculture, classic rock, and become such classic rock hits. This is a one-hit wonder, Spirit in the Sky, by a Jew, Norman Greenbaum. And then, of course, Jesus is just all right by me, by the Doobie Brothers, the original Doobie Brothers, without Michael McDonald, a great performer in his own right. Let's go to Ina, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ina. Hi, I'm President Curtis. How are you? I've had better days. I've had better days, yeah. Ina. When, when, when everybody, anybody go before Jesus with, with evil and wickedness, he said, depart from me, I know you not. And he rebuked them. Yes, but what I called to, I called to talk about um, Woodstock. I was on my way to Woodstock with three carloads of us, driving my car and for my friend. We... We didn't reach. We we went upstate New York. The traffic was so so bad. We we had us. To, I said no. I'm not going. This is this don't look good. And uh, we turn off and we end up into a a, a a neighborhood. They had nice restaurant, bakery, fresh apple pie, pumpkin pie, and we sit and feast and buy a lot of stuff and take home and turn back. And even when we was going back, we had a hard time. The traffic was heavy, too, because a lot of people were turning back. When I went back home and looked at the video with the, those girls in the mud with their hair naked, <laughs> I said, I'm glad we didn't go. But it was fun to see Bob Marley and all of them. You know, I watch it on TV. It was good. Hmm. Wow. We took you back. We took you back in time, Ina. She didn't make it. She wasn't intent on going on to Woodstock. But she got caught up in the flood up uh, the New York State Thruway. Up to the New York State Thruway. Let's go to Bob, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. 
Hey, Curtis, um, how about one of the most popular ones of all, um, Jesus Christ Superstar from the musical musical Hair. Remember that one? Yeah. Actually, my older sister, Alita, eventually went on tour with the road company of Hair. Uh, she performed in Amsterdam, not on Broadway, but in Amsterdam and Holland. So, yeah, you are absolutely right. Very, very uh, successful commercially also. They went beyond just a musical brand. Why do you think that was so, Bob? Because the counterculture, as it first came about, rejected all of that, rejected that sort of uh, Judeo-Christian Christian, uh, belief system. Um, well, at the time, it was a popular thing to do, you know, is like around the time of the Vietnam War and whatnot, and that, that was the movement movement back then. Yeah, and I also remember Jesus was the first hippie. That's right. He was dressed like a hippie. He acted like a hippie. He really wasn't uh, into material items. Uh, many hippies fashioned their look after Jesus. And these songs really became a bridge between the gospel and rock and roll. But it is incredible. It is incredible that at that very time, counter to the all of a sudden counterculture was this Jesus movement that had many of those former hippies continuing to dress up like Jesus, but moving in a more theological direction as opposed to hedonism, uh, decadency, uh, peace, love, happiness, and drugs. Yeah, the, the mamas and the papas, they dressed that way. They almost all did. Look, even Jim Morrison yeah. with his long hair. I mean, he looked he looked at times like uh, you think what Jesus looked like. That's my favorite band as well, The Doors. I I love The End, the song The End. Yeah, in fact, I began the show because the guy who played the electric keyboard, Moranczak, was Polish from the south side of Chicago, where my cousins were from. And I remember them talking to me about him, that song, Break On Through to the Other Side, that we began our six-hour extravaganza with, all Polish, all Polish. Wow. This is amazing. This is deep. This is deep, ladies and gentlemen. You don't hear this on talk radio. Come on, let's be honest. As we conflate the music of the era of the baby boomers and then try to figure out how these classic rock religious songs made it to number one. And we're not being rejected by people because they appear to be theological. Let's go to Patrick in Huntington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Patrick. Good morning, Curtis. First, I'd like to apologize. I was missed a click a couple of weeks ago. He called me on the queue, and the next thing I know, I hit the button on my phone and was to hang up. So, Oh, so you introduced me to Mr. Click. No, you said Mr. Yes. You said, oh, Mr. Click, did you hear that? And it was me, and I was like, oh, damn. And that was it. I was lost in the ozone after that. Well, you get a reprieve. You're back. Uh, I'm back. So listen, do you remember the book during the early 70s? It was called The Way. And a lot of the uh, counterculture uh, you said, it was like the it was the Bible translation uh, to teenagers. 
Do you remember that book? It was uh, the Bible was, uh, translation to the teenager? No, I didn't. So, uh, were you familiar with it? I had a couple of people that in my crowd were, uh, uh, and it was a big, thick book. And it was called The Way. So, yeah, getting back to you, the, the whole cultural movement there was weird. And these were people who really liked music. We were really into music. And uh, there was the Jesus factor in it, you know, which was, uh, you know, it it, it wasn't a, uh, a Harry Krishna or, you know, or, uh, who am I thinking of over there? And, uh, yeah, Harry Krishna. Yeah, no, the it Harry was, Krishna, Harry Krishna yeah. with the dots on their head. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it was just a movement. Uh, but, uh, uh, it was, yeah, it was quite popular. Yeah, give it a look up. Yeah, no, I will because I remember, um, I think at that time, a very popular book for a lot of uh, religious folks, especially those who came out of the uh, inner city, was, oh, you got to read uh, Switchblade and a Cross. I think it was by Nicky Cruz, who had been a gangbanger. And then he had reformed his life. I think he went on to uh, pastor that uh, huge church that was uh, the Times Square Church, north of uh, Times Square itself for a while. And they would make reference to that book, which is, I never I never read that book, but uh, I had met, I believe it was Nikki Cruz in Washington, D.C. at a conference. But yeah, you're, you're right. There were certain books in that era that had a theological overtone to them, but they were very street or they were very culturally hip. And it was sort of like an attempt to introduce you to religion. Oh, yeah. I'm having my flashbacks here. Having my flashbacks, as all of you are. And if you're not a baby boomer, if you're younger than a baby boomer, well, you're being introduced to what was part of that culture, a culture that has left an imprint on the America that we know today, and especially the special thing of our talk radio, the most intimate form of communication that has ever been created. I say by Marconi, the Italian, others say... Tesla, the Serbian. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, Jesus! Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Great Michael McDonald's song, Taking It to the Streets.
Michael McDonald went from Steely Dan to the Doobie Brothers. Did a lot of work with Kenny Loggins. A lot of work. And yet he did a lot of work with a lot of folks. And you know what I think of Michael McDonald? You know what I think of McDonald's? Yeah, the big arch, St. Louis. He's in the St. Louis Hall, the Walk of Fame. He's a St. Louis guy. So, uh, see, I, I fooled you there, Christian Matos. You thought, oh, what do you mean? You're going to be talking about Mickey D's, McDonald's? No, 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 not today. But when I first saw the arches over the Mississippi River, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, I thought that was Ray Crocs, Mickey D's. But, yeah, Michael McDonald, what a set of pipes. What a songwriter. St. Louis boy, heartland of America. No, 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 we're not talking uh, McGuire, Mark McGuire, Royd boy. Stan Musial, yeah, all Polish all the time. They got the bridge there connecting St. Louis, Missouri to St. Louis, East St. Louis. My God, what a disaster that is over the muddy Mississippi. A lot of that. Hey, Yogi Berra, yeah, St. Louis, the hill, the Italian section with Joe Garagiola. How do I know? I was in the Vaughan Housing Projects. Nasty, right next to Pruitt Igo. It was blown off the map by Richard Nixon, who said, We are never going to be building public housing like this again. Boom! And who came out of the Pruitt Igo projects? <sighs> Leon Spinks and his brother Michael Spinks. You say, I, I, I love St. Louis. St. Louis loves me. I love St. Louis. Man, you get to. Bang away there in North St. Louis. There ain't no cops around. Wow. See that? I'm taking you on the National Geographic Tour of America. Let's go to Jersey Joe in New Jersey. Is this Jersey Joe Piscopo? Negative, negative. It's uh, deja vu all over again, Curtis. I'm so excited to talk to you. I got through two songs of uh, Jesus uh, backstory I never knew, but they're very interesting. Look it up. Windy, the association. Along comes Mary. That was a great song. There's a backstory to that. And another one from the Broadway show, I believe it was J.C. Superstar. I don't know how to love him. Uh, meaning, of course, our Lord and Savior, J.C. Hmm. Now, uh, you're a baby boomer, right, Jersey Joe? One year older than you, and I saw you at Floyd Bennett with Sid that time you were there trying to keep the tents out. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy, did we rally up a lot of people. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, jamming illegal aliens into neighborhoods that did not vote for him. If you notice, the propensity of these locations are in areas that did not vote for him. It's a basically F you. They're in your backyard. But let's get back to the music portion. So, again, the counterculture hits. They're rejecting a lot of Western Judeo-Christian values. They're going to ashrams, taking transcendental meditation, Maharishi Yogi, all of that. Why do you think these songs became so popular when, when rock was dominating, classic rock? It's, it's, it's rhyming. I think uh, it's... Poetic license, everybody in, uh, we're hardwired to possibly 
rhyme and just the melody, the tune, that that unusual synthesizer, whatever Norman Greenbaum had in the background, boy, that makes you feel like you're going with the invisible thread up to the sky and seeing that tunnel of light, the white light. And think of it, it was a one-hit wonder. He never had anything that even approached to being a hit after that, as I had mentioned after growing up uh, Orthodox Jew, hardcore, he then ended up going to L.A., got into a drug-induced psychosis, was part of Dr. West Medicine show on Junk Band, and their only song of significance was The Eggplant That Ate Chicago. Oh, hell no! Weeks ago, I went to a Shabbat. It lasted two and a half hours, Curtis. I I, I don't know. I almost uh, got a little tired, but then they had lunch afterwards. With <laughs> oh, I was learning a lot about uh, a language I never Hebrew understood. So God bless you, and thank you for taking and doing all. And I hope you're mayor next year, and uh, we'll get rid of those tents out of uh, Floyd Bennett. Oh, that's a that's a guarantee from day one. Yeah, I guess I'll use a religious animal. If that's the will of J.C. or Hashem, right? Because it ain't going to be the will of Maharashi Yogi and the Transcendental Meditation Movement and ashrams. I guarantee you that. Let's go to William in Massachusetts. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. William? Hi, Curtis. Listen, you're the bomb. And I was blown away by Spirit in the Sky when you played it. And I remembered the first record I ever bought was The Mamas and the Papas, because I liked that song, California Dreaming. Had the picture on the cover of them in a swimming pool, drinking water out of the bullet holes in the cowboy hat. And the second record I ever purchased was Steppenwolf Live. Not for Magic Carpet Ride, but I liked that song, Goddamn the Pusher Man. That's and right, God right damn, you push him, man. You're right, that was classic, William. Yeah, and you're out to push him out of New York City, and God bless you for that, brother. I'm telling you, this is a baby boomer time. We're, 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 we're having flashbacks. The culture of the music of the time was a clashing of Eastern meditational philosophies being introduced to a lot of younger people, rejecting uh, Western theological forms of worship, and then emerging through the counterculture in musical forms. You know, you had the Ravi Shankar playing his sitar with the Beatles when they came back from their ashram on the Ed Sullivan show. It was sort of like, why is Ravi Shankar here? All right, I'm not into sitars. But... Came with the package. You know, I was waiting for, hold on, Topo Chicho, the little Italian mouse. And then all of a sudden, the classic spirit in the sky, one hit one. Jesus is just all right by me. Jesus Christ, superstar. And that was part of the counterculture. Jesus is just all right by me, which meant it's not great. It's not bad. That was part of that counterculture uh, belief system then. Remember, I grew up at that time believing you don't trust anybody over 30. Now I've extrapolated that to be I don't trust politicians. As you see, that is my, my fingerprint at the start of each and every show. 
when I pay tribute to the great Bernard McGurk, who died well, way too young in his life. But it's Curtis Lee was a politician who says, don't trust any politicians. You better believe in that. You got to remember Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Oh, yeah, it's fanny time. Fanny pack time. Special prosecutor singing out the fanny pack and all the sisters out there. Oh, he was a player. I understand that Nathan even had a relationship with Angela Davis. How could that be? Stone cold lesbian Angela Davis, although I loved her. I loved her when I was younger, that poster with that fro. Angela Davis. Oh, that fro. And she was on trial in San Jose. Federal trial. She beat the rap, although she was helping George Jackson and the Soledad brothers try to escape. I met a sister who was a stone-cold communist with Gus Hall, who was the leader of the American Communist Party. Yep, yep, he had his little dacha and yonkers. He grew his tomatoes. Wow, you see, I've, I've experienced quite a bit, quite a bit. But I cannot believe that Nathan was dating Angela Davis, who was one of the inspiration for Black Lives Matter, a.k.a. Big Lodge Mansions now. Oh, yeah. Get into the extortion, uh, the shakedown of money, white guilt money from Fortune 500 companies that enabled those founders and others involved in Black Lives Matter to become uh, owners of Big Lodge Mansions. Absolutely. I mean, think of this. Think of this, though. This song. Doesn't this fit Christian Mantos? 
that love affair between Nathan, special prosecutor, he's a player, and Fanny Pack, who says, hey, it's cash and carry Fanny Pack. It's a black thing, said her father in defense of her in Georgia, Fulton County. But I got to tell you, ever since uh, her father came out in defense of Fanny Pack for stashing cash, not in a mattress, but in a cash box or in a safe. Man, it ain't a black thing. I know so many people who do that for a lot of reasons. My grandfather, Fidel Biongino, used to do that. He did not trust banks. He came from body. He would take $5 bills and roll them up with rubber bands. And then he would drop them into a hole in the wall and forget where he put it because he was like Brian Wilson was was announced at the start of the show and the Beach Boys suffering from dementia. He was in the grips of dementia. He would forget all the money he had hidden behind the walls. He did not believe in banks. And you know who he'd blame it on? That it was missing me. One yawn. He would say, one yawn. Fatali fatu tu He'd be going crazy like Joe Biden gets. And I would say to my mother, who is the youngest of the 13 children and in an Italian-American household, it's always the youngest daughter who would take care of the mother or father. And many of them, unfortunately, would be gripped at a point with dementia and Alzheimer's. And he would hide his money and forget where he put it and blame me for snatching it. Now, did I ever snatch it? Mm, let me see. A few comics I wanted at the candy store one time. <laughs> I cannot tell a lie. But then eventually my father came home. He was a master craftsman in addition to being uh, a merchant seaman. And he took down a whole wall. And my grandfather was amazed at how much money he had stashed behind there like a squirrel stashing nuts. And I would always get the blame. One yawn, he's of all. I guess I guys. Yeah, yeah, I thought I was snatching it up. Yeah, look, one time. one I will admit, one time, there were so many comics at the candy store, I had to have it. My mom wasn't going to give me an allowance, yeah, because, you know, my job in the week was I had to clean the turlets. And then I get a quarter. And you really couldn't get too much with a quarter, although a quarter went a long way. Back then, you could get a Spalding... You know, a Spalding, there was nothing more than a knockoff of a Spalding tennis ball that had not passed mustard, so they wouldn't have the covering on it. And that's how Spaldings began to get sold in candy stores and were used for all kinds of street games, especially stickball, which I was commissioner of in the city of New York for about 16 years. And then uh, boxball, stewball. Chinese handball, yeah, Chinese handball as opposed to normal handball. But anyway, I digress. So I want to say this is the theme song of Fanny Pack in Fulton County and her lover boy, Nathan. Marvin Gaye's sexual healing. But this whole concept that only certain people stash cash in a house, nope. Nope. There are a hell of a lot of people who do that. And if you happen to be one of them, I want you to rise front and center, or if you happen to know people within your life, within your family tree, amongst friends and relatives who stash cash in the house or wherever, 
please come front and center and give us a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But, Christian, it's time to go to Sister with Attitude, Fulton County DA, Fanny Pack. Keep cash in the house. Did you ever pay him anything other than cash? I've only given him cash a few times in, in the course of what we're talking about. So you never would go to dinner. Let, him, let her finish her answers. If we would go to dinner, I wouldn't give him cash because he paid for dinner or I paid for dinner. I've given him cash only a few times in life, probably four. Probably the most money I've ever handed him is $2,500, the least amount of money I've handed him. Probably $2,500 and $1,000. You never wrote him a check? Ma'am, I don't have checks. Ma'am, I don't have checks, not traveler's checks. I don't have checks. I kind of find that difficult to believe, all right? This woman was a judge. She's the uh, DA. She's been a lawyer, obviously, in order to qualify for any of those positions. Her daddy was a, a judge. Ah, did she never had a checkbook? Come on. But Fanny wanted everyone to know out there, SWA, Sister with Attitude, man, she don't need a man. She don't need Nathan. She don't need no stinking man. I think we did two different wine tours that you do, which are pretty expensive. Um, I think I bought him. He likes wine. I don't really like wine, to be honest with you. I like Grey Goose. Um, I bought him a bottle of wine while we were there and the sippings that you do. I, I can't remember how many, like four or five different places you go. I remember we went to, um, I don't need anything from a man. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion, which is why I was give him his money back. I don't need anybody to foot my bills. The only man who's ever foot my bills completely is my daddy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> a sugar daddy? Uh, that's not her biological dad who was a judge, but did she ever have a sugar daddy out there? I don't think so, man. This woman has attitude. She don't let up. Man, that guy, Nathan, I would hate to be that guy. Now, he's a player. There's no doubt. But, man, when she cold busts him, oh, man, you know she don't stop. You know she like all over him. Oh, hell no. She loves that Grey Goose, and she ain't even drinking no wine. She drinks Grey Goose. You think you think she was volunteering a little bit too much information? You know how lawyers always tell you, just answer yes or no. No, she's got to go into, no, he's a wino, and I'm a Grey Goose gal. I don't drink that cheap wine, man. It's got to be Grey Goose for me. And then who taught her about cash and carry? The cash money rules the world. Wu-Tang Clan, 36 chambers of death, destruction, and <laughs> Well, of course, Daddy taught her. You have money in your house. So it was just money that was there. When you meet my father, he's going to tell you as a woman, you should always have, which I don't have, so let's don't tell him that. You should have at least six months in cash at your house at all times. Now, I don't know why this old black man feels like that, but he does. When we were growing up, my daddy had three safes in the house. So my father's bought me a lockbox, and I always keep cash in the house. Now, I don't do it to the degree that my father would do it, so he would probably be uh, ashamed with me. 
but I always have cash at the house. Why, why would he be ashamed of you? I mean, he had three safes. He had three safes. Why would he be ashamed of you, Fanny? You blaming on your daddy. Well, look, everybody's stashing cash. Come on. You know, the IRS, that's why there's an IRS out there. They know you're stashing cash all over the place. Degenerate gamblers, you think they're putting everything in a bank? Hell no. And, of course, on day number two after she went oofa and lost her cool. Under cross-examination, Fanny Pack decided, I better leave it to my my daddy. Because this way, my daddy can explain why I am a cash and carry SWA sister with an attitude. When your daughter moved or left the house that she owned, did did she say anything to you about having a large uh, savings of cash? Oh, no, she, oh, no. See, maybe, excuse me, and I, Your Honor, I'm not trying to be racist, okay? But... It's a black thing, okay? You know, I was trained, and most black folks, they hide cash, or they keep cash. And uh, I was, no, I trained. You always keep some cash because uh, I've been places, and just because of the color of my skin. For example, I took a fellowship at Harvard when my daughter was just a, a if I might, Your Honor, if I might, when I was just uh she was just, you know, maybe three years old. And I remember going to a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I had a American Express credit card and maybe a visa or whatever. And uh, I had a lot of um, what they call traveler's checks. I don't even know if they still have traveler's checks, but traveler's checks. And there was a sign said, you know, with the credit card, for whatever reasons, the man would not take my American Express credit card. So I pulled out my visa card, and he wouldn't take my visa card. So then I pulled out my traveler's checks. He said, we don't take checks. Now, this was these were traveler's checks. This was money. I had a $10 bill. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And uh, he said, uh, uh, the bill for my wife at the time, uh, Fonny's mother, Fonny and myself was like $9.95, and I had a $10 bill. That was all that. And I always remember that. Um, but even before that, I've always kept cash. I, you know, and I've told my daughter, you keep six months' worth of cash always. For example, I had three safes in my house. Uh, I put some of my clients' stuff there, too, uh, things I didn't want other lawyers to be, I mean, because you're always in a firm, and I knew that there were special conditions, so some of my clients' things I would bring home, put them in the safe, but I've always kept safes, and as a matter of fact, I gave my daughter uh, her first cash box and told her, always keep some cash. (laughs) But he says it's a black thing. It is not a black thing. And no way, I, almost every racial, ethnic group stashes cash. That's why the biggest fear is if the government changes the currency overnight and then you can't use your old currency that you got stashed in your mattress, your scato, your moolah shmoolah, your panic. Every race, every ethnic group stashes cash from the uh, elite wasps to those who are jadrils, who are knuckle draggers. I don't know of a group that I haven't come across that doesn't try to stash cash. 
especially uh, new immigrants, you know, first-generation immigrants, they don't trust banks. It's not an inculcation uh, to uh, trust banks because of the countries where they come from, where they have runs on banks. Banks uh, freeze up, take the po- government takes deposits of people there. There's, there's none of these uh, FCC restrictions and protections. I think it is the federal, no, the FBC, federal banking, uh, has, FBS, I think, FCC, that's what gone is us. Uh, we can't say those seven words, you know, that George Carlin did a whole riff on. Man, I'm spinning here, man. I am really spinning. We are moving in a million different directions. But let's go to the phones. It's Alfred calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Alfred. I love you. Uh, the guys you want to know about Peel's beer, you said there were two of them. It's Bob and Ray. That's right, Bob and Ray. Uh, both of them, uh, like Boston Baldies, uh, they had chrome domes, right? Yes. Now, you know that when they did radio, because they also did radio, not just TV, and they were the original pitchmen of the Peel's all-aluminum beer can. That's what I remember, because I, I was into recycling then, and... That was like the first all-aluminum can. Before that, it was a bimetal can. You know, you'd have tin on the top, steel on the side, and steel on the bottom, and it was all seamed together. That was your typical beer can. Peels was the first that I remember to have the first all-aluminum can. Do you remember that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was like a little walk-around keg. You know how a keg would be with aluminum. You just carry it around. It would... It would get cooler quicker. It would maintain the coolness. Not that many people like Peels. Uh, I remember it because that was a commercial that Jimmy Breslin, the great writer, was in when they were trying to say, hey, an average guy drinks Peels. And they figured the average guy around town was Jimmy Breslin busting in shoes, chasing stories uh, that he could uh, write editorials and op-eds about. Now, now the other thing, Alfred, is uh, Bob and Ray... Like typical radio partnerships, they weren't just on TV, they were on radio. They did not get along. In fact, it was so bad, they're sitting side by side together, that when they wanted the other person to do something, they would talk separately to the producer who was in the control room. And Bob would ask the producer, could you tell Ray to read this advertisement? Or Ray, if he needed Bob to do something would talk into the control room and would say, hey, would you tell Bob to do this? They would never talk directly to one another, Alfred. I didn't know that, Curtis. Yeah, they hated, they despised, they loathed one another, and they are not unusual. Most partnerships in radio don't make it. Now, the percentage is even worse than marriages. 50% of marriages go south. They lead to separation, divorce. I would say partnerships in radio, upwards of about 80% end up going south. It's, it's very, very difficult. I've done a number of partnerships. I think I've counted up in my lifetime in talk radio, which is uh, is uh, 35 years. I've had about uh, 20 different partners on the radio. And none of them worked out. None of them. And that's when I told uh, the suits at WABC uh, after the last one, 
hey, I either go solo or I go find a job hanging wallpaper somewhere. I can't deal with this. I just can't deal with the partnership anymore. I, I was really good with it. I would mentor. I would guide people. I would teach them about talk radio. Many of them who had never even listened to talk radio, never mind participate in talk radio, but it always reaches that point where they get too big for their britches. And they think they know what's good talk radio, and they know nothing about nothing. They know Ugats. They know Bubkis. And in every partnership in uh, talk radio, you must have a bus driver. That is the person who drives the bus. We saw that when Bernard McGurk, or we miss him dearly, was able to have his lifelong dream come true and hook up with Sid Rosenberg. Uh, even though I miss in the morning, did not want them doing mid-mornings, uh, uh, replacing Geraldo Rivera, who had been a prima donna and flown the coop. Uh, so they needed a replacement, and it was Don Imus who wanted Mike Lupica, the great sports writer for the New York Daily News. A guy, if you gave him a half hour to get a column in, he could do it. But talk radio was not his thing. He sucked. He was not good with talk uh, radio when it came to sports and definitely wouldn't have been good for WABC. But, hey, you see, Don Imus, he did not want to give the opportunity to Bernard McGurk, who had earned it ten times over, and Sid Rosenberg. And when they started, look, at times they were scrapping. They were not getting along. It wasn't uh, what we think it was. I know I was here. I could see the same things that I had gone through with other partners of mine in talk radio, both males and females. There were times that it was magic, and there were other times where you could feel the tension coming right out of your speakers and woofers and your terrestrial radio. You could tell. And it always happens. It always happens. So that's why, oh, I guess about five years ago, I said, that's it. No more. Nobody, if, hey, to mentor, to train, uh, to work with. Like, I'll be working with Andrew Giuliani again at 8 o'clock tonight. He's in the Curtis Sleewood Talk Radio Boot Camp. Or my wife, Nancy. Similarly, she's in the boot camp. She does the deep dive. She's on from 9 to 10. And then, of course, we've been together with the Animal Welfare Hour, which is her passion. It's what she's dedicated her life to. A great job. Uh, but then, look, there's others that I've mentored. Anthony Weiner, they kicked me out of the nest there. I'm no good no more, right? Oh, you're too soft on Anthony. Uh, uh, the, the, the big boss man, uh, John Katzmatidis, bumped me out for four weeks, said, oh, you got scabies, we're going to do you a solid. Uh, sit on the sideline, get some splinters on Saturdays from 4 to 5. Oofah! And now, now they moved in Roger Stone from the Stone Zone. It will be on from uh, 6, make that 4 to 6 today, right? 4 to 6. Uh, and they, they put him in there when Anthony Weiner. Hey, they did pretty good. 4 to 5 on Saturdays. And apparently, again, their ratings were better than mine ever was with Anthony Weiner. So that's it. I ain't doing partnerships. That's it. I'll train people. I'll mentor people. They're in the Curtis Sliwa boot camp of talk radio. But I ain't doing radio with partners anymore. Obviously, Nancy's my partner for life. And she doesn't give me any grief. But there's going to come a time, I'm telling you, Christine Matos. Christian Matos. Christine. What do you care? It's oh, a, hell no. It's a transgender time. What do you care, Christian? You, too, could have a funeral uh, and bury you out of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Cardinal oh, Dolan. Hell. Oh, no. It's all right. Don't worry about it.
maybe you identify as Christine today. Tomorrow you're back to being Christian. You can't do that. You know, according to the woke culture, on any given day, based on which side of the bed you woke up on, you could either be male or female, transgender, polyamorous, asexual. It doesn't matter. And I have to respect that nonsense that you could flip the script at a moment's notice. And then I'm held accountable if I somehow can't read the tea leaves and figure out what you are at that moment. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We're back on track. This pension, this desire to stuff money in the mattresses. Look, forget Fannie Willis's father talking about it's a cultural thing, it's a black thing. What about Bobby Menendez that said, hey, it's something that uh, we inherited in Cuba. You know, on the Machato, Batista, and then when Fidel and Raul came in with the tanks and turned Cuba, the pearl of the Caribbean, and put it into a cage that it hasn't yet escaped from. For 30 years... I have withdrawn thousands of dollars in cash from my personal savings account, which I have kept for emergencies and because of the history of my family facing confiscation in Cuba. Now, hold on a second. You weren't born in Cuba, pal. But then again, he might have heard the stories of his family. Hey, I've known Jews who have their passport on them wherever they go because they say, you never know. You never know. You're in America. It doesn't matter. You never know. We might have to be on our go. And oftentimes wouldn't carry cash with them, but carry jewels because you could transport them anywhere. It's like currency. Whereas to be stuck with cash, mm, difficult. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Dedicated to Fanny Pack by her lover boy, Nathan, special prosecutor. Classic, generally at a club, 
for the Pastels 2001 Odyssey of Bay Ridge or any other club you ever went to. When the DJ would start playing this towards the end of the night until the break of dawn, you knew, you knew pretty soon. Lights out, doors shut, off you'd go. Maybe you go to the nearby diner, right? Get the diner. Or the 24-hour White Castles, right, with the belly busters. But this generally would be that time of the night into the morning when you realized what was a really great night of dancing, fun, at an old disco was coming to an end. I love this song. I really loved it. Could do a nice slow hustle to this. Not difficult to do, so it wasn't a complicated dance. And it was at a slow enough beat if you were a beginner, you wouldn't sort of get run off to dance floor. But it would have a lasting impression on you. Somehow, I can't imagine Nathan, lover boy, special prosecutor, out on the dance floor with Fanny Pack to this song. No way. You could not be a SWA sister with attitude and dance to this song. No, you had to have a softness to you. Oh, hell no. No. Maybe the Patty Duke, the bus stop, the bump, but not, I repeat, not a slow hustle to this. I don't need anything from a man. Well, apparently you did, Fanny Pack. So much so that... You decided to purchase Nathan by giving him that uh, outrageous contract to be your special prosecutor against Trump, Giuliani, and company and charge them with a RICO conspiracy act. Cash, cash. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot believe that more of you are not coming forward to tell us stories about cash being stashed in your house. Look, I'm not an IRS agent. I'm not reporting you to to uh, the Treasury Department. They know you stash cash in your building. In fact, they have figured out how much cash is no longer in the street because you've stashed the cash. And I always keep cash in the house. A lot of and it ain't a black thing. It's a white thing, black thing, Hispanic thing, especially an Asian thing. Man, they do not trust banks. No way. That's why they are the objects of home invasions, people following them home, uh, and then all of a sudden do a home invasion because they know those agents, a lot of them will just not trust their money in a bank. They got they got it stuffed in the garage, the basement, relics, religious figurines, you name it. They go they go wild when they do a home invasion in a nation house, especially Englewood Cliffs, Englewood T-Neck. Tenafly, Cliffside Park, yes. Look at the crime stats. They follow them home. Many of them are small businessmen and businesswomen, family businesses. They scope them out. They eyeball them. And then all of a sudden, the stick-up crews come in under the cover of darkness. They use that uh, masking tape that I discussed, that duct tape. They tape them all up, put them in a room, and then they check the place for currency jewels and anything they can get their grubby hands on. 
You know it, ladies and gentlemen. So let's be real. You better kick me some knowledge on that. Don't be acting like, oh, I don't do that. I trust the bank. I go to my Bank of America. Everything goes inside my Chase, my Citibank. Absolutely, I trust the banking system. No, you don't. And some of you who come from an era when there was a run on banks under Roosevelt, right during the Depression, when all of a sudden the banks were closed and you couldn't get your moolah moolah and your ducats and your cheddar and your scattol, you ain't never trusted a bank since. Oh, hell no. And you got it in the mayonnaise jar, the empty jar in the cupboard. I know that. How many times you put your hand in a mayonnaise empty jar, Hellman's, and you say, oh, my God, look at all the cash in here. My own wife does that. Oh, yeah. I cold busted her. Not much cash in there. You know, that's, that's, that's for the cats. You know, the cats need their treats. The cats need all these different kinds. She got cash in the Hellman's mayonnaise jar. Better make sure you get all that mayonnaise out of the jar before you put that cash in there. Get a little sticky. And I know that many of you got other hiding spots in your house, your garage, especially your basement, where you stash your cash. And don't lie. The Treasury Department knows exactly how much cash is out in the streets and knows how much is no longer in circulation because you're sitting on it like a hen ready to hatch eggs. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, I love this BG song. It's one of my all-time favorite disco songs. Not too fast, not too slow. You don't do a grind. You do a slow jam. Yes, slow. A nice slow hustle. Oh, it is so good. I I need more. I need more, Christian. Out of all the great songs, Saturday Night Fever, this, without a doubt, is my my favorite. Ah, look at all the classics in there, but no, 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 this, there's just something about this song. The Bee Gees, the falsetto, the soprano voice, just so good, just so good. It's like, why was Michael McDonald so desired by Steely Dan? And also the Doobie Brothers. It's because he had that high voice. That high voice like uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. That's what made Frankie Valley to this day, they're still out there on tour. That high soprano voice. You know, like that pedophile on a pedestal, Michael Jackson. No, no, no. Don't be playing any of his tunes here. Or I will projectile vomit. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're going to play R. Kelly. You're going to go right on down the line. We ain't doing that here. Let's go to Helena in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Helena. Hi there. First of all, from New Jersey. I'm from Newark. Yes, Helena. I'm from Newark. 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 North Ward. Springfield Ave. Central Ward. Where are you from, Helena? Clinton Hill. Okay, now now uh, we got your geography. We got our GPS set on you. Go for it, Helen. All right. Um, got a story for you about uh, Frank of the Moranos, as I call him. Uh, 
You know, I don't like to listen to them. I don't usually listen to them, but every so often I turn the dial and I listen to him. And several months ago, he had a segment on married couples sleeping together. You got me so far? Now, a married couples sleeping together. And he was about it, yes, no, and maybe. And all of a sudden, he came out with the remark that his sister, the one that converted, that is now a religious Jew, a Jewess, I should say, does not sleep with her husband during her menstrual cycle. Wow, he let you know all of that, Helena? I almost gagged. Delicious muffin that my neighbor baked for me. I know, Helen. That's more information than we need to know, right? But wait a minute. Here's the thing. Her sister, now there are certain rules and regulations concerning that. But for the sister to discuss that with him. And why does she have a family powwow and announce it? It's a we- Helena. It's a weird family. You got to understand. It's a weirdo family. And I, I, I'm sure that if Avery was with you at the time, both he and you would have a field day with that one. Oh, there's no oh, doubt. Hell no. There's no doubt. But you're you're not going to want to miss it. Up next, uh, Frank Morano, the Mama Lukic, cold busted by our news director, Gnome Laden, for being a kleptomaniac. But then again, he cold busts me too for having uh, been at Fugazi on St. Valentine's Day with my wife Nancy, who was broadcasting here with me. Helen, I I got to admit, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch a, a verbal beatdown also. <laughs> Well, he do, well, you know, I hate to say this, but I'm really surprised nobody uh, made any comments about that segment. Well, they're always commenting so much, uh, Helena, about the Mama Luke Frank Morano that I think they have cauliflower here. Radio? Yeah, they're so used to uh, people uh, chewing uh, their ears off. Uh, Chad Lopez, uh President of Red Apple Media, our parent corporation, John Katzmatidis. They're just so used to it. You mentioned Frank Morano, and they list like five complaints they got that night alone. <laughs> well, I'm just curious, Curtis. I don't know if your sister Alita is married or not. But what would, you, what would your reaction be if she came home and said, Hey, Curtis, I'm not sleeping with my husband when I have my menstrual cycles. God. That's too, I would say that's too much for anybody to know. It's none of our B.I.B. business, right, Helena? Oh, hell no. In the first place, I don't think your sister would say that to you. No, but what, what is she going to do? Oh, uh, is she going to tell me uh, about the mitzvah bath? Huh? No. That, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm telling you, you see, Frank... He's like a yenta. He's like a male yenta. He just can't keep his mouth shut, Helena. But for Rachel to tell him something like that? I know. This is the most personal of of practices. I mean, it's, it's just diabolical that he would do something like that, Helena. Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Curtis, and keep up the good work.
Thank you, of course, Helena. Yeah, they're out there. My spies on the Mama Luke, Frank Morano. Yeah, Frank, they eat the Parmesan cheese for me. They let me know. How low can you go? Talking about your sister sleeping with her husband, except not during her menstrual cycle. Who needs to know that stuff? Jesus, Frank. What, what? We're going to find out she's having a mitzvah bath? None of our B.I.B. business. What a nosy guy. It's like we don't need to know that stuff. You see, I need this music now. I need to get back into an elevated mood of happiness. Because when I think of Frank Morano, I think of George Costanza, right? Or Seinfeld. I think he is the modern-day George Costanza of radio. This is all part of the entertainment theater of the mind, discourse, presentation, and we're not talking politics here. No, no, hey, look, if you, if you, you have a desire to knock yourself out and get even more soiled than you already are, more angry than you already are. More bent out of shape than you already are. More on the verge of having a stroke or a heart attack more than you normally are. Well, continue to listen to political talk, 24-7-365. It'll be so that you end up with shingles. Yeah, shingles, because it'll cause you to have a nervous attack. I saw my mother, Francesca, suffer with shingles, and I know others who have suffered with shingles. You don't need that. You don't need that agita. You don't need that angst. And that's what you get from political talk. What? What? You ever? You ever feel happy when you do political talk? Of course not. You feel nauseous. You feel like oh, right. You feel like you need Advil and you you need ibuprofen and you need Tylenol together because uh, that'll form a natural barbiturate. And even then, you'll be angry like a chunk out there. But we don't do that. Not to the break of dawn, we play music like this, and we mix it with a talk, discussion, and an exploration that is unlike anything that you have ever, ever heard on talk radio, and it's all exclusive to the number one station in the world at night, and the number one station by day across the nation, coast to coast, this thing of our 77 AM WA. B C. I don't need anything from a man. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Till the break of dawn, ain't nobody going to sleep on me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Do it. 
to Nathan, Lover Boy, Cash and Carry, plus Grey Goose. Grey Goose. Grey Goose. Grey Goose. Grey Goose. Grey Goose. anything from a man. Grey Goose. Tell him, man, this guy is a player. There's only one thing that's going to keep him around the nest. Cash and carry. Anyway, let's go to Mark in Orange County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. Yes, uh, Curtis, thank you. Um, I remember reading something interesting about uh, 25 years ago in the paper about somebody that had stored money in a wall. In a house in New Mexico, the uh, the house is worth about, I guess, about one hundred fifty thousand. And the wife asked uh, the husband to knock the wall down to expand the kitchen, and uh, they found about eighty thousand in there. So they knocked another wall down. When they they ended up knocking the whole house down, and they had two point three million in one house. In one house. And they who, never found out what it was from. The way the story uh, uh, came to, to, to light was that the uh, 
that they didn't want to like try to hide the money, but from the neighbors and everything. So they just told the IRS they paid the taxes and uh, they kept the rest of the money. Wow. They must have had duffel bags full of cash. And no, it was in each wall. Each each wall they knocked down, they found more and more money. I thought it was, uh, you know, it was pertinent to what you were talking about, st- uh, storing money. Oh, now, talking about storing money in between the walls of the house, let me give you a situation that unfolded with the MTA money-taking agency. A commuter had left a bag of $30,000 in uh, Shimoli's cash on the Long Island Railroad and got it back with the help of a clue inside the bag and some good DT work. Assistant conductor Christopher Nochito discovered the hefty sum in a bag forgotten on a crowded LIRR train to Ronkonkomo. After the holidays last year, he said, I didn't expect to see that kind of moolah moolah in there. I didn't count it. I just turned it over to the MTA police. The bag, they went inside, had a date book with the owner's upcoming appointments listed. And as the uh, MTA police detective, Kristen Riker, went through uh, his personal information of the... uh, guy whose cash it was in the bag, she saw that this uh, person had an appointment to get their car inspected, so she ended up contacting the mechanic and actually sent the mechanic a picture of the person. He helped me identify who it was, and that got the ball rolling to contact the Long Island Railroad. Lost and found. Can you imagine, have you ever been in the lost and found of the Long Island Railroad? I've been there. My God, it's like a warehouse. People leave all kinds. They leave refrigerators on the Long Island Railroad. They leave hibachi grills, you know, George Foreman grills. I must have seen two George Foreman grills in the Long Island Railroad, lost and found. I was in there one time because I had lost my wallet that has like 92,000 rubber bands around it. And believe it or not, somebody had returned it there. But as I'm going up and down the aisles, they got, oh, they got aisles full of stuff. Even prosthesis. A guy's prosthesis leg, he left behind on the train. His peg leg. Uh, But anyway, there were two George Foreman uh, grills in the Long Island Railroad lost and found. But you know what happens if all of a sudden you're at home and you are the victim of a home invasion. And let's say $30,000 of Seattle was hidden somewhere in the basement, somewhere in the garage, somewhere on the first floor, second floor, maybe the roof or, you know, the crawl space. Once the cops come over on an investigator and say, what were you doing with $30,000 in cash? You get a little squeamish, right? Like, how do I explain this? What, I got lucky at the track and I just didn't want to be accountable to the IRS? No, no, that's not the reason. The investigators, the DTs, uh, the IRS, the Treasury agents, they're going to want to know how you ended up with that $30,000, especially since it wasn't in your bank account. How many times people have been caught with money in their bank account that they could not account for, especially why they didn't pay taxes on it? Imagine how all of a sudden cops are going to be when asking you, hey, what are we going to do with that 30000 Say, hey, talk to my lawyer, right? No, 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 no. Come on, not for nothing. 
What were you going to do with that 30000 Where'd you get that 30000 You know how DTs are, man. They're never happy with a straight-up answer. They want to walk all around it and hit you with a bullseye right in the middle. We don't believe that that cash is yours. We believe your house in that cash. Is this drugs? Sex? Gambling? What is it? And then you take the code of America. You say, hush, hush, mush, mush. I will never reveal that. You'll have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. And by the way, uh, they wouldn't mind doing that if you're not going to give it up. Because guess what? Goes to Uncle Sam. It's for the taxes that you weren't paying while you had the cash stashed in the wall or in the mattress. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Your love is fading. I feel it fading. A lot of clutter there leading up to this. Uh, your love is fading. Too much clutter. Who's ever putting this together? We got to get right into it. People want to hear this show to the break of dawn. They don't want to hear clutter, clutter, nonsense, oldie, moldy stuff. Huh? It's either fresh or bag it and tag it. Woman, woman, your touch, your touch has gone cold. Controls your very soul. I fooled myself long as I can. Can feel the presence of another man. It's that when you speak my name, it's just not the same. Ooh, babe, I'm losing you. It's in the air. Frank Marano, the Mama Luke. And by the way, yours truly also, Curtis Lee, on St. Valentine's Day is our news director, Noam Layden. I want you to listen, listen in on what occurred when Noam Layden caught the kleptomaniac at WABC when it comes to going into the refrigerator and taking items that don't have names on it. It's one and one only kleptomac. Kleptomaniac, known as the George Costanza of Talk Radio here at WABC, Frank the Mamaluke Morano. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight. 
News and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, Noam. Good morning, Frank. Sometimes you, as a journalist, you have to really search hard for a good news story. Yes. But then there's those moments in your career where the story's right in front of you, and it's like, wow, this is just too easy. Thank God for that. And that's what happened here at WABC, which is the home station, of course, right. for your program. There was a note inside the refrigerator oh, here boy. in the kitchen oh, boy. that was one of the more threatening notes that I've ever seen mm. at the radio station. It was somebody who was incredibly angry that their lunch had been eaten, and they wanted and they were demanding to know who that person was. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear, I didn't hear it last night. I must have been driving in. I just didn't catch it. You admitted, you were the person who admitted to eating that lunch. Well, I don't know what the lunch is that you're describing. So it was Chinese food. That's what I found out. Okay, well, I, well, I, well here's what I will say. Mm-hmm. Recently, there were two unmarked egg ro- uh, spring rolls unmarked right unmarked spring rolls right. no one's name on yeah. it in violation of the refrigerator policy which requires a name and a date right and i did consume those two unmarked spring rolls so you're in charge of making sure that people follow the policy at the radio yes. station oh, i didn't know yes that. well no we're all in charge oh, we I should see. all be doing this i we am should be policing everybody else well, we should not we should have zero tolerance for unmarked food because otherwise, if we show tolerance for unmarked food, then the policy is meaningless. And then you know what happens? The refrigerator is filled with clutter, which stays there for days right. and weeks and begins to stink. So you know what I say to you, Gnome, and to, yes. to that note lever? Right. You're welcome. <laughs> you seem very defensive about oh, this. Well, because I have been portrayed and threatened by that note lever as as some sort of a, a you know a, a scoff law, when in actuality I am upholding the standards of what makes that refrigerator uh, go. You might be on the wrong side of this argument. The conversation around the station has not been very friendly towards you when people found out that you had made this admission, that you had eaten that lunch. And then the question started to come, and they wanted me to ask you about this. Have you eaten other lunches in the refrigerator that are unmarked? Never. And be careful how you answer this question. Never anything. Because there, there are cameras in the kitchen. Never anything that has been labeled. Right. So and anything nothing, that's unlabeled is fine. You can yes. eat. So if yes. I put my lunch. By the way, I bring my lunch in every single day. Right. If it's I forget to put my name on the paper bag when I put it into the refrigerator, can I be worried that when I if I don't eat the lunch that day that you will eat it if in, you, overnight? If you don't adhere to the policy, right. I will remove it from the refrigerator. Yes. Right. Remove it and eat it. Or throw it away. Like oh. there was some macaroni salad that went bad before. I threw it away. Did you how did you know it went bad? I had to try <laughs> it to make sure I knew it went bad. So and, did you now what if I told you that you had Eaten the lunch of someone who's on your overnight staff, who works incredibly hard, who toils, pouring sound. I know you're talking about the wrong show because (laughs) nobody on our staff fits that description. This is somebody who works very hard on the show, a new member of the program, says that uh, you ate his sandwich. He brought in a sandwich to eat during the overnight hours and, you know. It's not incredibly hard to get food in the middle of the night because we are in New York City and get it delivered. But, you know, it costs money. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to save money. He brought in his um, own lunch, breakfast, whatever you're calling it in the overnight. And he said it went missing. And he found out that you had eaten his sandwich. Definitely not if it was labeled. 
<laughs> so, you know, I wanted to see how often this happens because there's a lot of people who are really angry. I want you just want you to know this. Right. So it's a good thing you're in the overnight because during the day you'd probably be hearing from some people who are very upset that their lunches went missing. Well, and they'd be hearing from me about my displeasure of them leaving unlabeled food in the refrigerator. I uh, made a call yesterday when I heard that you were up to this. I, there was a professor at the University of South Carolina, Professor Edwin, who had done a study about people who steal lunches from coworkers. Mm-hmm. And um, I was unable to get to him, but I left him a message. And then when I was sleeping, because I go to bed early, he left a very long message on my voicemail last night with this study that said, um, I I didn't want to play it because he hadn't given me the permission to, but he said that um, 18% of office workers admit that they've taken and eaten someone else's lunch from the fridge. That pretty much means, he says, one in five office workers have done this. So you are far from being alone in terms of eating other people's lunches, knowingly eating other people's lunches. Now, let me take it a step further. He pointed to me, pointed me to some recent articles. So this is why you might want to think twice. Right. About you would just bring up the, the, the exterminator that got fired in, in England. Uh, well, I don't know about no? that okay, story, but ahead. there's some that are really recent. So he pointed to me to an article in Fairfax, Virginia, just two weeks ago, 25-year-old Basin Berth. Uh, was sentenced to life in prison. He had been uh, brought lunch to Target, to the Target store, and someone had eaten his lunch where they worked at Target. And so the next day he brought in a hammer and two knives and then uh, disassembled this person for eating his lunch. So now he's going to spend his the rest of his life behind bars because he was angry that someone had eaten his lunch. One, I'd want to know the refrigerator party, uh, the refrigerator policy at that particular target. And if it's clearly labeled on the refrigerator that it must be have your name on it or it will be discarded. And then, um, it, it, first of all, I don't think that's an acceptable reaction regardless. He pointed me to another story because he's collected these over. The, this is just over the last three months, by mm-hmm. the way. So they're right. not old stories. He pointed me to another story of a woman who brings one of those big bottles of creamer. She likes the sweetened creamer, like vanilla, French vanilla. Mm-hmm. I don't know which brand she was using. And um, people were slowly pouring it into their coffee, even though her name was on it. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. That's theft. Yeah. So then she decided she was going to put something into the creamer. Good. And she did. Good. Show them. Show That'll teach them a lesson. Good. He also pointed me to – he gave me some great resources. He also pointed me to the story of someone who had not put their name on a sandwich in a refrigerator at a office in Wisconsin. And the guy said that uh, almost every day he would open up a sandwich. He had liked to have uh, two uh, slices of cheese and lunch meat, and he put it in a Tupperware. And when he'd open it, he would notice that somebody had taken the piece of sandwich apart and taken one piece of cheese off and left the rest of the sandwich there. Now, is that okay? Because it was unmarked in the Tupperware. Rest of the sandwich was there. He said, I'm not going to eat it. The sandwich itself should have been discarded after that. Uh, Another one is something that happened in his own uh, university, University of South Carolina. He says a faculty member got himself a sub, put it in the fridge overnight. Then uh, before class, he went to eat a sandwich only to find that someone had opened it, taken out all the meat, 
and then wrapped the bread and veggies back up to it, <laughs> up in the sandwich. Well, again, and that's, left it that's there. absurd. The sandwich should have been discarded. The whole point of mm-hmm. the policy is to keep things from staying in there and festering and growing and cluttering up the refrigerator. And it's like, you know, I bring in stuff all the time, in all seriousness, you know, egg salad, pizza, d- desserts. And the idea is. So that is, makes up for the no, no, people's no. food that you've no, eaten. The idea the, is you don't label it. Right. Be, and you encourage folks to take it. And honestly, you know, we are very lucky like a lot of other radio stations we've worked at, where there's always a lot of, you know, complimentary food right. to be shared. And so I think the only way to uh, to differentiate between the food that's okay to take versus the one that's not is the policy that we have, which is you have to put a label on it. Let, let's, just, it. let's just make this Black clear. Black and white. Let me just make this clear so I can understand this when I go back to some of your coworkers yes. who are upset with you. You will continue to do this. And you don't apologize to the person who's Chinese food that you ate no, because they have not labeled it. No, those people should apologize to us for not adhering to the policy. Okay. So even though the fact that most of the meal had been eaten in that Chinese basket or food or whatever it was, container, uh, you finished it off, and that's okay. Even though it was clear it was somebody else's. Right. They should have thrown a, a Post-it note up there. Okay. said gnome or whomever. Okay, so... People need to put their names uh, and maybe put a lock on their lunch no, as well. No, no, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You go in there. You'll see. There's okay. name and name and name. Okay. And all the, every labeled item in there that has a name on it is totally unmolested okay. because those people stick with the policy. All right. I can't re- wait to report this information back to the professor at the University of Thank South you. Carolina yes. so you can include it. And send a photo of what's on the refrigerator to that professor as well, please. Thank you. No. And now you know the rest of the story. So, ladies and gentlemen, you heard the prosecution, the interrogation, the inquisition by our news director, Noam Lady. Uh, do you find that the Mameluke Frank Morano is hopelessly wrong? Or do you give him a reprieve and say that, well, he's within the margin of reason, even though it's uh, a bit excessive and a bit nauseating and... A bit uh, repulsive that he actually skirts uh, getting himself into big trouble in this investigation of uh, our employees' ways of operating and eating food out of the refrigerator here at WABC. Our number is 1 800 848 That's 1 800 848 WABC. Let's go to Stella. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stella. Just a wonderful belated birthday present. It was the 17th. And in uh, Truth in Media, I am using a nom to Pumi tonight. What about your bloomers? (laughs) And I don't even know which topic to hit first. Um... First of all, I cannot believe you mentioned Bagot and Taggett, because in addition to stashing money all over the place in case there was an intruder, and so she'd have something handy somewhere, thousands of dollars in diff- each in different places, she had a whole collection of body bags. So when you said Bagot and Taggett, I had wanted to mention the body bags. Wow. She took those, she took those because my father was a pathologist. And when the hospital was closed down uh, unceremoniously overnight, uh, partially by the uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the behest of the Vatican, and she went there in the morning and found it padlocked, she took everything 
that walked out of the pathology laboratory and she took the body bags, mm. which we needed because she hoarded so many things. We didn't have enough trash bags to tro- throw the trash out from the house. So there were black ones for adults. There were, I think, red ones for women and white ones for children or something like that. And the rule at the time was we could put out seven items of trash and uh, and bags combined in front of our house. Our next-door neighbor let us put an additional seven bags each of the two um, collection days in front of their house. I ended up filling up the car and going to the South Bronx to the landfill with the junkyard dogs, and I am terrified of dogs, just to get rid of some of the body bags full of trash. That's my bag-it-and-tag-it story. Wow. Now, that is incredible, Stella, all the way to the South Bronx. wasn't far. I lived in uh, Union Turnpike in that area that was called Utopia and Flushing that was right across the street from Jamaica Estates. That's where I grew up, so it wasn't far to go over the Throgs Neck Bridge. Uh, but, but I lived in Huntington, so this was a journey. This is when I started smoking uh, at the age of 30 on purpose because I didn't want to do drugs. I didn't want to start drinking. So I walked around the corner and bought a pack of cigarettes because I heard that would help. Did uh, you remember which brand it was? Refrigerator story. No, no. Did you remember the brand of cigarette that you first began to smoke? Um, it, It was either Marlboro or it was one of the menthol cigarettes. Oh, boy, the mentors, those are the toughest. I mean, uh, Newport, could it have been Newport, soft pack or hard pack? Um, hard pack. Uh-oh. Well, you know, that that's like currency in jail, Newports. Man, it is the most addictive. I ended up with a lot of black friends who lived in the projects in the South Bronx, and uh, they were confirmed Newport smokers. Yeah. So I had... I had currency to, sh- to trade. <laughs> so like when, they, when you were able to smoke in a correctional facility, that's what it was. You can't do it anymore unless you sneak it. But uh, it used to be like currency, like ramen noodles are currency now, like uh, honey buns are currency. What's a honey bun? You know, a honey bun. You know, when you go to the commissary, no. you never had a honey bun? Oh, I thought it was a brand like a, a Twinkie or a Yodel. Well, it's in that same genre. It's very sweet, sticky bun. Sometimes they call it honey bun, you know, very sweet. And in jail, in commissary, they run out of it all the time. Um, did, are you familiar with that genre of cookbooks written by prison lifers? Yeah, yeah, no, they, and not only that, how they survive by doing their own laundry. Are you aware of how they'll do their own laundry in their eight by four foot cell, Stella? I have a terrible memory, so I may have read about it, but I don't remember. Well, let me, let me remind you, having been in that position myself in a jail, not a prison, but the turlet, you, you actually use it like it's a whirlpool, um, a whirlpool washing machine. You you flush it by you keep flushing, flushing. You put your your items in there. You you soap them up with the laundry soap. You put them right in there, and then once you you, you strangle out all the um, all the um, uh, water, 
after rinsing it thoroughly in your toilet bowl, then you hang it up in your, your cell, if they'll let you hang it up so that it could uh, dry. Well, I live in a 200-square-foot apartment, which I think qualifies as a cell. How do you keep the laundry from – and I do everything by hand because I have no way to get to a washing machine most of the time. How do, there's one in the basement, but there are Bilco doors that I can't open at my age in my physical condition. So I do. I only buy clothes that I can do in a basin in my sink. Now, do you, do you, do you, do you wash it in Woolite? Do you wash it in Woolite, Stella? What was that? Uh, do you use Woolite to wash it? No, I use Dawn. Oh, Dawn. That's right. That's very soft, very sensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's good. That's good. Wow. You you could be a lifer, Stella. You could be a lifer. <laughs> I came pretty close. <laughs> no, you're a 200-square-foot apartment, right? Well, keep in mind, realtors do not count the bathroom. So it is the... Uh, 200 square feet of living space plus a generous bathroom. And since I am always afraid of slipping and falling and dying because where I live is so isolated and nobody will hear me scream, um, I use my shower stall as an extra closet, and the bathroom is full of Vine merchandise because I am now an official product uh, reviewer for Amazon on Vine. So wow. um, I'll send you a photograph. Wow, yeah, but wait a second now. You don't have the pendant. I'm falling and I can't get up? I had it. I had it for three months, and every month they do a test, and every month it didn't work. <laughs> the life alert, right? No, no it was from um, a nursing home chain in the Albany area that also has what they call memory uh, uh, wings. And it's called the Eddie E D D Y. You might be familiar with it. It's yeah, no, no. My my, my mother my mother had it. Uh, she didn't have to go into a nursing home, but she was in uh, her home in Canarsie. Uh, this is after my dad had passed on Chester, so she would wear that life alert pendant. And you're right; they would check in on you almost like all the time. And there was one time she fell. She had to end up going for rehab at the Hebrew Home for the Aged. She really bruised up her hip badly. But, boy, that got her as soon as she hit the deck, hit that life alert, and, you know, there was response. What, um, uh, three times it didn't work. And then I said, what do I need to spend $30, $35 a month for this for when you can't use it uh, in the shower, it can't get wet, and I have a cell phone? Yeah, but you see, that's the whole point. Sometimes if you slip and slide and you land on your, you know, your elbow or your wrist and you fracture it or you damage it, because, you know, the older you get, the more brittle your bones get, that little pendant around your neck, all you got to do, touch it, touch it. And it immediately sets off an alarm and they they contact you, they talk to you because you're probably either sitting on the floor or you're laying on the floor, you can't get up. But but I totally understand. There are different ways of doing this, as long as you have something. As long as you have something. Can I ask you about Canarsie? Oh, of course. All roads lead to Canarsie. Okay. My SO, who is uh, turning 90 this year, and with no further identification, because that's the way he wants it, but he does let me do this something like this, uh, lived in Canarsie for quite a while. And he told me he personally drilled a well there to get water. 
And it turns out, I, I was shocked. And he said, no, a lot of people in Canarsie back then, it must have been probably in the 1950s or 60s, because that's when he came to America from Italy, drilled wells in Canarsie to get their water. That is true. My grandfather had a well in the back of the yard there. Uh, the house that he first purchased had been an old gasoline station that they had converted into a uh, a regular house, and they would uh, pump up the water from a well until eventually the whole area was uh, pipes were put in, and they were getting regular water from the uh, water system. But no, for a long time, especially when Canarsie was a lot of lots. Uh, a lot of undeveloped property, no subdivisions. Yeah, you had to get water the old-fashioned way from a well. Oh, oh I believed him when he told me. He just told me this the other day, and I was stunned because I can't picture New York City being that undeveloped that people were digging their own wells. I don't know if that's still legal or not. Do you know? Well, almost everything is legal now Stella in New York you don't you don't get busted for anything in New York other than maybe if you kill a person <laughs> maybe I lost my pistol permit that broke my heart whoa whoa they took your pistol permit away what was that they took your pistol permit away they wouldn't renew it uh no it was taken away I will I will send you a text message and tell you how that happened. But I had a, a, a full concealed carry, and uh, not in the city, in upstate here, and uh, and it is Eastwar. But sort of to keep out of the database, I'm just as happy now because there's all kinds of other kinds of, um, of, of, of firearms that I could shoot. So you're a real Annie Oakley. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. She, I was, uh, I saw Ethel Merman do her on Broadway. Uh, my mother took me to see that when I was a little girl. Uh, Annie, get your gun. And I can still hear her Ethel Merman singing in my ears. And I, everything I ever owned was stolen, almost everything, in 2015. A woman stole the estate. I could not get the, the state troopers, the, the county uh, adult protective to understand that a homemade note five lines long with all kinds of spelling errors was not a legal eviction note. It's a very long story. It's a wonderful story, and I can't possibly tell it on the air because I don't dare. But one of the things I had was a photograph, and I still remember doing this and being laughed at by older teenagers when I was maybe second grade. Uh, I had, uh, I dressed up, I had um, a vest, um, a leather, little leather vest. I had a sheriff's badge on it. I had my uh, Roy Rogers cap guns that actually made all that noise and had that wonderful smell. And to top it all off, which made my father, who was a refugee from the Ukraine, just bust a gut laughing every time he saw it because he loved Westerns on TV. I finished this sheriff's outfit off with a full, complete Indian headdress. And then I went out to play ball in the street on 180th Street in Queens. Wow. What a life. What a life. But I think most of our listeners, Stella, when you said that you had a permit to conceal and carry, they were like salivating. How did she get that? Not only that, but they t when I took the 
the class here around 2009, early 2009, they said it'll be four months, and then you're going to get. Um, uh, we got. Uh, we took the class at the, the Masons Lodge, which I'd never been in, and the three. Uh, thrones at the front, I can only call them thrones, look like they were set up for a KKK meeting. I'd never seen anything like it. But I really liked the Masons just because they were willing to host the concealed carry classes. And um, they explained, you have four months, and then you're going to get a phone call from the uh, from the uh, sheriff's office to set up an appointment with the judge for an interview. And I got the three very best references I could. And my late husband had also been, a, my third husband had also been a deputy in this county for briefly before he became an accountant and a long distance truck driver, among other things. And one day I get the phone call, and it's almost four months to the date. And the fellow said, this is deputy so-and-so. I'm calling, you know, for you to pick up your pistol permit. I said, oh, yes, for the judge's interview. And he says, no, no, no. I have the signed permit here. You don't have an interview with the judge. And I had had a special outfit that I did not touch with a pair of shoes and an 800-square-foot bungalow house with 13 cats. And I had buried this outfit to the judge so I wouldn't accidentally forget it and, and ruin it in the back of my closet. I was so disappointed I didn't get to dress up for the judge. Let me tell you something, Stella. My wife would be eating her heart out knowing that you had a carry permit, a concealed carry permit, because she wants to be Annie Oakley. I just won't let her. She has to go out to Pennsylvania to to meet uh, with her mother out who lives there now, and she goes out shooting AK-47s. I shot one once, one shot off of one. A friend of ours had bought one, and we uh, he belonged to a local range, and we went there, and it was out in the back, and went, the neighbors complained, so they had to shut that part of the range down, that, uh, that the shells were landing on their rooftops, except with the trajectory, the particular ammo they were claiming they were finding, like 22s, there's no way it went like hundreds and hundreds of yards and over a fence and landed did on their rooftops, but somebody believed them, and that part of the range got shot shut down. But I do remember having to balance this gun on a, on something because there was no way to to handhold it for me at least. So that that one time where you fired off a shot of an AK-47, you weren't going to be able to catch uh, the the shift of the gun back towards you. You wouldn't have been able to handle it. Well, the recoil you're talking about. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I know all kinds of English terms. My vocabulary is not as good as yours, but um, I'm a sophophile, S-O-P-H-O-P-H-I-L-E, and so are you. I just learned that term on chat GPT because I'm deeply into AI and I teach digital literacy. And I went to ChatGPT because I was trying to find out I'm no longer disabled or retired. I have several income streams. So I asked ChatGPT, I needed a word to describe my occupation, which is multiple occupations. And I wanted a word to describe the fact that I'm interested in learning about everything. I just, not everything. I hate organized sports, football, except for the cheese whiz which I had to explain to somebody at Computer World was not familiar with the term, loved it. 
Uh, except for that, I know nothing about football except the one game I went to and at a freshman weekend. And here's the, now I'm getting my mic shyness. What was I saying? No, I'm just saying you described a revenue stream that you've created for yourself later in life after retirement. You do realize there are some guys listening that might consider you to be a potential sugar mama for them. Uh, no, I've got my sugar daddy. <laughs> well, you've been married three times. But no, for t- no, 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 no. We're getting married. Um, he, he's turning 90. Uh, he's, uh, I can't say too much, I'll, uh, but he's, uh, I'll tell, I'll text it to you and I'll send you a picture and I'll send you an audio tape that he let me record of him. And, uh, and he values his privacy even more than George Smiley in, in the John le Carré novels does that he knows more about privacy. I think than John le Carré did. Wow. And here I am with this digital life. Uh, exposing myself to everybody, except I do not do social media. Never did. Question, uh, he sounds like quite a catch. What was that? He sounds like quite a catch, quite an interesting uh, guy. Uh, You're going to love this. And if I had an email address for you, I could send you all kinds of things that don't fit in a text message that will have you salivating on the floor with material for future shows. Oh, we're definitely going to do that. There's no doubt. You uh, you could end up becoming the executive producer of the best side of the other side of midnight. I don't. Well, I never wanted a job where I had to be in a cubicle, where I had to be indoors. That's how I ended up without a pension. That's how I ended up with Social Security based on spousal benefits that left me marginally above the poverty line and left me homeless in Lowell, Massachusetts for half a year, living, sitting up in a Dunkin' Donuts, with a, sleeping with my head on my brand-new Chromebook, a high-end Sony Cybershot, and my cell phone. Wow, in a Dunkin' Donuts? Yes, a 24-hour Dunkin' Donuts. 24-hour. Now, if you had had a preference of low or Lawrence, which would it have been? God, Lawrence. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I, was, uh, I needed a place to stay. I was trying to rescue my late fiancé who was being tortured in a Massachusetts nursing home, where he w- which was uh, where his stay was covered by New York State Medicaid and overseen by the New York State Department of Health in eastern Massachusetts. That's how dirty the system is. And they tortured him to death. And he died in his early 50s through torture. And um, so I was trying to get him out of this nursing home once I discovered how awful it was. And uh, that's how I ended up living in the Dunkin' Donuts. I could have managed other accommodations, but I was trying to stay walking distance from him for assorted physical limitations that I had at the time, which I no longer do. Well, that's so, de- that's dedication. I mean, think about that. You had other options, but you weren't going to leave him. Uh, and then, unfortunately, without you, he would have had no access to anybody. Oh, he could speak up for himself. He was, uh, to give you an idea of his personality and how quick his temper and how quick he was to speak out about injustices and get things done, he was um, Sicilian, Hungarian, 
and one quart of Sioux Indian. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now, question. Question. When you were at the Dunkin' Donuts and you were there, and obviously they didn't hassle you, they allowed you to stay there, what was the most difficult time of your stay there? Say that last part, I, I spoke over you. I yeah, no, no problem. When you were in the Dunkin' Donuts, what was the most difficult part of your stay in the Dunkin' Donuts that was a 24-hour Dunkin' Donuts? Oh, I'm going to add that to the Computer World Forum I belong to under pet peeves. When I have to pick one, can I give you two? Yes. Okay. One was they had the temperature sometimes, maybe maybe not even as warm as a refrigerator, to uh, to deter people from staying in there overnight. Yeah, well, that would work. <laughs> and the other was they locked the bathroom after ten, eleven o'clock at night, and. I, sometimes when I was brave, I would cross, cross – I, I haven't told you about Lawrence yet in the hellhole and what the taxi cab driver said when she heard I, uh, that I needed a lift from Lawrence. You're going to love this. Um, and um, there was a CVS across the street, a 24-hour CVS, that was like a small supermarket. And they had a 24-hour bathroom. But sometimes I was terrified because Lowell was such – a dangerous neighborhood to go out alone at 2.30 in the morning. So on most nights, kind of around 3, 3.30 in the morning, this uh, probably Mexican older woman behind the counter named Maria, who brought me clothes one day, including sort of a serape and everything. They felt so bad for me. Occasionally they'd sneak me a, a croissant croissant witch thing with something in it. Everything was so greasy. Some little Mexican kids came in one day and all they, apparently they had no money and the people behind the counter knew them and they gave them all ice water. And one of the little boys, he looked like Gandhi in the old comic strips. And he comes over and he hands me something and he didn't really speak English, but I understood he was saying, this is for you. And here it was about like 38 degrees in there, and it's about three ounces of ice water with the ice cube still in it. And I, I just thanked him profusely because I was so thirsty. I didn't care that I thought I was going to die from hypothermia from having one more sip of that. This oh, is, so, Stella, do you realize you are quite the survivor? You really do have the will to live. Oh, I just got this great T-shirt from Timo, which I thought was a scam, but I found out wonderful things at ridiculous prices. And people complain, well, Timo's stuff comes from China. Well, I'm an Amazon reviewer. Where do people think Amazon's merchandise comes from? Well, this T-shirt, I'll send you a picture of it. It says, um, it's got a picture of a plug, and it says, if 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 I'm ever on uh, life, uh, if I'm on life support, uh, pull the plug, then tur- uh, put the plug back in. See if that works. <laughs> wow. Now, where were you born and raised, Stella? I was born in Brooklyn Jewish Hospital, um, where my father later was on staff because uh, he came here in 1923, approximately 13 years old, probably lied about his age. I have something to tell you that can't even be for an email or a text, because you were talking about 
families or people that had to change their names for political reasons. You're, you're going to fall out of your chair when you hear about this one. But in any case, he came here when he was thir- approximately 13, had his bar mitzvah, and um, then in uh, 19. 19- 39, and people tell me it's not so. World War II didn't start until 1941. They didn't know about Lent's lease. And um, so 1939, he entered the Army as a captain because he was a doctor. He he was stationed, among other things, in a laboratory in Iceland. And uh, he ended up uh, not being able to get home on a troop ship until 1946. And I don't think he got leave once. So he was in for like seven years. And when he came back, being short, Jewish, and with uh, an accent, even though he had the most magnificent English and spoke several languages and did not have a doctor's handwriting, it was like calligraphy, he ended up staying in the Army and uh, got and stationed in Augusta, uh, Georgia, at the uh, Augusta Army Base, which you've probably heard of. Yeah, well, it wow. is what a fascinating life. And it all started in the Brooklyn Jewish Hospital where you were birthed. With, I've been to the South Pacific. I became best friends there with the astronaut Pete Conrad's aunt and with um, uh, uh, oh, um, uh, Bill uh, Draper, the, the famous World War II part, portrait artist who did the, uh, uh, the famous portrait of Kennedy. And I think the Shah of Iran, the one that hangs in the National Portrait Gallery, and uh, he was on that trip to Fiji. They went with the American Museum of Natural History. We hit six countries on a cruise ship that was designed for 150 people and had only 88 people for two weeks. It was like being on a yacht. And um, Bill Draper, this famous, famous, famous portrait artist, had uh, had us, me and my two friends, who were just about the only people who were under 75 on this trip uh, to his penthouse on the east side because he didn't want us to meet his friends. He wanted his friends to meet us. Mm. So he had a very small uh, private cocktail party, and he sent everybody else home, and me and my two friends were invited to stay wow. for dinner. This was the plan in advance. And among his guests were uh, Thomas Hoving, who had just stepped down as director of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and Mary Lou Whitney, who turned out to be just about the most charming person I ever met. And we're out at, outside his penthouse in the um, uh, in, in his garden with the trees overlooking the city in Central Park. And she's telling me how she had tuberculosis when she was a child. And people were saying how stuck up she was. She reaches up. She says, I lost all my hair from it. She just tugs on the very center top of her head and lifts what turned out to be a wig straight up in the air, like a foot or two high to show me that she was almost totally bald. That's how gracious and down to Well, this was. is what I want to do, Stella, because you have been such a wealth of information and you tell it in a story-like way, which is all part of what makes uh, talk radio so great when it's done right. You have actually spoken longer than I have ever had the opportunity to let a caller speak, better than any guest that I've ever had in 35 years, just all the different information 
we're going to get your information so that I can get you the email so that you can continue to funnel what has to be probably some of the most fascinating ideas towards Future Talk Radio. I would be very appreciative of that, Stella. I've been trying to do that since the summer because I've been corresponding with Doug Gowdy, WGY, and he finally got to know me well enough that he would send back whole paragraphs and not just a word or two. And I've been on the air with him, and we have actually a relationship, even though we've never met him and Rachel. And uh, Oh, no, I know, I, know, I know WGY, but guess what? This is number one, second to none. This, we are the leading station in the world, Stella, that you've just been heard on 172 countries. The only place you haven't been heard is Antarctica. And John Katsimatidis is working on that. Please, uh, Christian Matos, get all of Stella's information. Was that not the most fabulous conversation? You see, this is where talk radio hits a gold mine. A woman who, for a brief period of time, was living in a Dunkin' Donuts in Lowell, Massachusetts. And look at her. We started the program talking about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys being diagnosed with dementia. Here is a woman sharp. Too bad our president, Joe Biden, can't be as sharp as Stella is. Again, born in Brooklyn Jewish Hospital almost a century ago. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Conversation with Stella again birthed many decades ago in Brooklyn Jewish Hospital. Ended up living in a 24-hour Dunkin' Donuts in Lowell. And I've been to Lowell. That's why I mentioned Lawrence and she got a good belly laugh. Been to Lawrence too. <laughs> it can get rough. But this song sort of epitomizes and encapsulates a lot of what Stella was talking about. And boy, she was a wealth of information, but delivered in a very entertaining way. So this song that many of you grew up with, that I grew up with, is by The Excellence in 1962, Duwamp Acapella. But to show you how genius borders on what many other people at times would consider... Uh, a person being emotionally disturbed or not in control of their mental faculties as clearly maybe somebody might have seen Stella living there 24 hours a day in that Dunkin' Donuts and, oh, they might have said, oh, 
There's got to be something wrong here. Wrong. You know who did the first uh, Coney Island baby uh, song that I ever heard? Walk on the Wild Side, Lou Reed. Yeah, Lou Reed. And you know, Lou Reed ended up in Creedmoor, where I've spent a lot of time trying to stop the tents from housing the migrants, a thousand single able-bodied young men with nothing to do, nowhere to go of military age. You know, Taylor Swift has a a song, you know, about Coney Island, although I haven't listened to it. I I know somebody had mentioned it to me. Oh, you know, Taylor Swift's a song about uh, Coney Island. And who was from Coney Island, originally out of uh, Oklahoma, and Oki from Finoki, Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie, who sang, This land is yours, this land is mine. He ended up in Greystone in New Jersey. He had a particular psychological, mental uh, problem that caused him at times to have a... Many, many different psychoses. Yet the guy was a genius. Uh, You may not have liked his politics. He was closer to being a socialist and a communist than many of you. But the guy was a phenom. And do you know where he ended up dying? Christian Matos. Creedmoor. 1967. What he got through? When I was going into Creedmoor to try to stop the tents, one of the... Attendants there said, Psst, come here. He took me through the halls. Oh, my God. In some instances, you can almost hear the screams. You can hear the pain. You can hear the wailing of decades of those that suffered from all kinds of mental health diseases. And he said, you know, this is, this is the area that Woody Guthrie was housed in his last year, 1967. This is where we think, we think, he said, that Lou Reed was housed. Think of it. We're all just like an inch away. I mean, people listen to me, right? And they say, this guy's mashuk. This guy's insane in his brain. Maybe there's some room in Greystone. Thankfully closed now. I think they do movies there. Oh, God. If you've ever been past Greystone... It's uh, like the Shawshank Redemption of mental health uh, hospitals. And Creedmoor is not that much better. And yet most of the rooms in Creedmoor now are empty, only 30% occupancy, a much more preferred place for those who are mentally ill and emotionally disturbed that I will see in a bit when I get down into the subway and I get on the train and it's like a... Moving hotel of emotionally disturbed homeless people, some of whom could be housed in Creedmoor, Governor Hoku. It's a state facility. I'm more concerned about them. They're ours. They need to be given mental health care in Creedmoor. No more tents. No more migrants. No more illegal aliens. It's time to take care of our own. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa.
Brooklyn in the house. Beastie Boys. No sleep. No sleep for you. To the break of dawn, no, if you go to sleep on me, I consider that the biggest insult that you could ever convey to me. As I approach 70 years old myself on March 26th, I am a Brooklyn boy through and through, just like you heard Stella, born in Brooklyn Jewish Hospital. Sid Rosenberg, Brooklyn boy, grew up in the Midwood section of Brooklyn. They have uh, the analytics that say one out of every seven Americans at some point in their existence have passed through Brooklyn or have lived in Brooklyn. The most populous borough of the five that make up the city of New York at one time, a city to itself and would, according to the analytics, if it were solo, if it were detached, if it uh, were uh, given a bris and was no longer part of Manhattan, Brooklyn, excuse me, Manhattan, Staten Island, Queens and the Bronx, would be the fourth largest city in the United States. I don't think people were aware of that. It used to be a city to itself. Then it became the borough of churches incorporated into the city of New York. But that's not necessarily why we're playing this song. It was 24 hours ago. And after I had finished broadcasting to all of you, I had many missions to accomplish during the day. And one of them was to return to an area that for many of you became a rite of passage, where you went to buy your first car. Maybe your mom or your dad took you there, and an aunt or an uncle, but it's Automobile Alley, Northern Boulevard in Queens. You could be coming off of the 59th Street Bridge, a.k.a. the Queensboro Bridge, a.k.a. the Ed Koch Bridge. Couldn't we settle on one freaking name already? The bridge has three names, and they'll probably give it another name which means more signs, more cost of signage, which makes no sense at all. It's like my husband-in-law, David Patterson, when he was governor, decided, oh, we're going to take the Triborough Bridge and name it the RFK Bridge. Nobody calls it that. And then he decided to do the same thing with the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Oh, we're going to call it, hmm. Oh, yeah, we're going to name it after the former governor of the state of New York, Cary, the Cary Tunnel. Nobody calls it that. And every time you got to change signage, it's moolah schmooley. Who pays for that? Do you think my husband-in-law, Patterson, paid for that? No, you, the schmucks, the putz has paid for that. That's not why I played this song, Beastie Boys, No Sleep to Brooklyn. Because I had very little sleep today because I was on a mission. I was reconnecting with one of the great advertisers in radio, period, over the years. That has enabled them to sell cars out of their various franchises. And you've seen it on Northern Boulevard. Capels. They're everywhere. Capel Volkswagen. Capel Ford. That's where I was in their warehouse today. As we were advertising all last week, their warehouse sale. Oh, I don't know why. <laughs> the cars they had. You see my dad, Chester. He was totally into Ford's. And you come out of the Midwest, he'd say, hey, it could be 40 degrees below zero. That Ford will start right up. And remember, that's not an air-cooled engine, you know, like the Volkswagen Beetle bus. That's why people like that. You start it right up in, in the Arctic freeze. 
uh, anything else, right, that has water in it or even with antifreeze, boom, forget it, 40 degrees below. And somehow, Ford, you would crank it over, especially their pickup trucks. My dad swore by that. So that uh, first car that I remember in the family was a 54 Ford with the wood paneling, white wall tires, old Betsy station wagon. And my mom used to drive my sister Alita and my younger sister Maria around with me, especially when we go pick up my dad, merchant seaman, when he would come into port. Could have been the port of Baltimore. Could have been the port of Philadelphia. Could have been the port of Newark, Elizabeth. Oftentimes, uh, through the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Cully come into the tank farms in Staten Island, and we would take the ferry, Staten Island ferry over, when they would carry cars and go pick them up and bring them home for a few days before he'd have to ship out again. We went up to the uh, port of New Haven to pick them up. The port of Boston was up and down the northeast sector, bring them home a few days. And it was great. Oh, Betsy never failed us, and my dad swore by Ford. So uh, at about it was 11.30 in the morning, Snow had fallen, and it's like people have forgotten all about snow here. We haven't been hit with snow in a month of Sundays. So if you got like two inches on the ground, people were in a panic. They just don't go outside. And we were at the Capel Ford dealership warehouse as part of a mission on behalf of WABC. And people showed up. Yeah, WABC listeners, they're not scared away by snow like, it's snow. Yeah, you know, it's frozen water that happens uh, to develop a little white base to it. It ain't going to kill you. But it also reminded me, uh, believe it or not, as I go full circle as I approach the age of 70 in March, I've gone full circle in these two past weeks on so many situations that have an attachment to me somehow, somewhere, someplace. So let me take you to the Ford dealership of the Capel Motor Organization on Saturday morning. As I'm walking around, it's, I mean, huge. I'm saying I've been here once before, many times. But I was there under bad circumstances. Michael Baticic, Rudy Giuliani, was the mayor of the city of New York, and he was getting it back in shape. Law and order, zero tolerance, all the things we so desperately need as this city is out of control where anarchy prevails. But there was a situation that was occurring at, I believe it was the Capel Volkswagen dealership on Northern Boulevard. Owned and operated by Howard Capel. Well, he's like an institution. I think the Capels were somehow related to the Models when they were growing up. You know, Mitch Model with all the sporting goods uh, attire, no longer in business. But Howie Cabell, still in business, very dear friend of uh, Rudy Giuliani, long-term friend, and a friend of mine. So as I'm walking around, I'm saying, I remember bringing the Guardian Angels here and walking through the neighborhood on a vigil. It was a vigil because of a tragedy that had occurred, domestic tragedy. So many of them, they make the headlines one day, and then they sort of like, they retire into uh, a pool that has so many other domestic victims. The woman, Galena Komar, worked for Capel Auto Agency, I think, uh, in fact, right next to Howie Capel's office. I'm not quite sure of that. But she was originally from Belarus, 
She had had a domestic situation with a guy who installed car alarms, who had a, had a criminal record. I believe his name was Oliver. And he had been very abusive. And they lived in Brooklyn at the time, and it was in Brooklyn court. It was being adjudicated. And uh, the judge, I'll never forget him, Lauren M. Duckman. Judge Duckman. And Galena Komar was on the cusp of returning to Canarsie. She had an apartment. All roads lead to Canarsie. This guy was stalking her, Oliver, would not leave her alone. So the judge, in a Solomon-like way, determined rather than locking him up to protect Galena, he would give him access to the dog that he wanted to reunite with that they had had in the relationship, and he actually said, he actually said this, Judge Lauren M. Duckman, it caused him to be defrocked. He lost his black regal robes over this, and rightfully so. Well, she's only had some bruising. I think if I give him access to the dog, if he can, you know, instead of locking him up, if I give him access to the dog, he's going to be fine. Well, he was released, Christian uh, Matos, and he came to that Capel Volkswagen dealership. And he walked in to Galena's office, which I believe was right next to Howard Capel's. He had a forty-four caliber, and he shot it three times in the head. Then he turned the gun on himself, and he blew himself away. How many times have we seen these kinds of domestic situations repeated over and over and over again? I remember Rudy ran to the scene. It was something he often didn't do in his mayoralty because he left that really to the police. His police commissioner, first Bill Bratton, then Howard Safer, who just recently passed away, or Bernie Carrick. But because he knew Howard Capel, he raced to the scene I remember we and other community members, we marched in the streets and in her honor, Galena Komar's honor. And in the distance, standing on a corner, I've known the guy. He was from Canada. He was in real estate from Toronto. He was the publisher of the New York Daily News. Mort Zuckerman watched us walk by because the Daily News was just covering this case nonstop. I think he really got emotionally tied to this case, Mort Zuckerman. By the way, as we started off the program talking about the diagnosis of Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys with dementia, the last time I ever saw Mort Zuckerman, and I had met him many, many times, he didn't even recognize me. Now, remember, Christian Matos, you may not recognize the voice. You may not recognize what I look at, but I'm always wearing my red beret and my red sateen jacket. He did not recognize me. He was suffering from those first levels of dementia. This guy was bright, articulate, sharp, regularly featured on TV. Uh, uh, He would be out socializing at all the philanthropic events and All kinds of women would be uh, on his arm. And here it was. He didn't even know who I was. But I'll never forget the headlines in the New York Daily News. Front page, a case of insanity. It was 1996. 
What's the connection you wonder? Canarsie, that Galina Como wanted to move to Canarsie to avoid this monster named Oliver? Well, a little bit. Uh, Mort Zuckerman, publisher of the Daily News. Well, a little bit. I was the Daily Newspaper Boy of the Year many years before that, delivering the Daily News in Canarsie. But it's not that. Judge Lauren M. Duckman, who was uh, a judge in Brooklyn, Kings County, got defrocked because of this. He lost his judgeship, and rightfully so. But Christian Matos, do you know who his son was? Dr. Duckman. I'm wondering, you know, back then, doctors drove Buicks, lawyers drove caddies. I don't know what it was. All doctors that I knew would drive a Buick, and for some strange reason, lawyers drove caddies. I don't know. It was like you got to, you graduated medical school and they told you, yo, you got to get a Buick. You know, you got to look the part of a doctor. Especially back then, they visited you in your house. They did home visits. Try to, you'll never see that in a month of Sundays now. But anyway, I digress. Do you know who former Judge Lauren M. Duckman's son was? Excuse me. Father was. Dr. Duckman at Brooklyn Hospital, who delivered me into the world and smacked my tochis, my dupa, and I've been talking ever since. You see how everything is coming full circle? You see how as I stood in that Ford warehouse of the Capel Auto Group as part of our advertising promotions for their products to our many listeners... You see how I was brought back to my roots. Now, there's nothing closer to your roots than the day you pop out of your mom's womb, whether it's the normal way or it's by other measures. And then all of a sudden you start crying. Well, there's another aspect of this story. So Dr. Duckman uh, delivers me. My dad comes in from offshore. He's on a ship. Ship to shore. He comes offshore to, to visit my mom. And he's looking at all the babies in the infirmary. I'm 13 pounds. My mother is, what, 108 pounds, Francesca. He cannot believe that I am the product of his union with my mother, Francesca. I was so heavy, it looked like my eyes were Chinese. He says to Dr. Duckman, remember, the father... Of Lauren M. Duckman, who many, many years later would get defrocked over this situation. That can't be my son. Look at him. He's, he's got to be. Are you Is a Asian family saying that they're missing their son? Because sometimes, rarely, but sometimes babies were mixed up in the infirmary. Dr. Duckman insisted. He said, nope, that's your son. And my father gave me my name, Curtis. I'm still trying to figure out why Curtis. Most people named Curtis are African-American. He claims it was an English name. I'm sure he had his rationale. But when people hadn't seen a picture of me or a video of me, just by the name, they assumed I was black and African-American. The time I was visiting a young man named Paul Martinelli, who was organizing Guardian Angels in Pittsburgh, and I was coming in from nearby Youngstown with Ron Smith, who was the chapter leader there. Ron was black. Naturally, I'm right. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. Paul Martinelli comes running out of his house. And all of a sudden, he goes up to Ron Smith and he goes, Curtis, Curtis, we've been waiting to see you for months. Ron goes, no, no, no. 
This is Curtis. And it was like they were disappointed, man. They were expecting a black guy. You know, like. Oh, hell no. Yeah, it's sort of like they got all pumped up. You know, hey, hey, it's a black guy. Uh, You know, Curtis. I guess what it was, Paul Martinelli tells his story. It's a great story. Uh, That they had Xeroxed so many times on an article in the American scene portion of Time magazine, which was one of the initial publications to write about our first subway patrols in 1979. They had Xeroxed it so much that it actually looked like I was black. Remember the old way you would you would make Xerox copies? If you made too many of them, somebody of light skin would suddenly have darker skin. Well, I appeared to be black. He showed it to me in his room. And I understood why you thought that Ron Smith, chapter leader of our Youngstown chapter. By the way, as we slept in his home overnight, waiting to depart for Pittsburgh, some crew of thieves came and took all the aluminum siding off of one side of his house, and they took the uh, the the cap, the sewer cap outside. There was a big hole there because they took it for the cast iron to the junkyard. That's how bad Youngstown was. All the steel mills were closed, right? Everything. It was a disaster. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is just par for the course. I don't know what it is over the last two weeks. It seems everywhere I go, everything I do goes full circle. You don't go any fuller circle than to the guy who swatted you on your dupa, your tuchus. And like I said, I've been talking ever since. Is that not incredible, ladies and gentlemen? Wait, wait, there's more. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And it was a tremendous Saturday morning at Capel's Auto Group. Met so many of our listeners who slept out there in the snow. A couple from Maspeth. A cop, a former cop who had done 30 years and retired. And his wife. And she mentioned one word that brought me back to my roots. One word. I always ask somebody, what high school did you go to? And people always wonder, why do you always ask high schools? Because I never graduated from high school, but I know high schools. If you ask me colleges, I know the names of them, but I have no familiarity because I've never gone to college other than to lecture at colleges. By the way, nobody ever asked me if uh, did I ever go to college. I guess it was a certain assumption because if you talk a mile a minute, the assumption is you're educated until about two minutes or three minutes into the conversation where they hear my fractured phrases, my spoonerisms, my malaprops, and then they begin wondering, what the hell language is he talking? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. The woman married to the former cop of 30 years, there to buy a Capel Ford at their dealership and warehouse as part of our promotion here at WABC, was the last angry principal in the public school system of New York City, Dr. Howard L. Hurwitz, a regular guest on the King of Talk radio show at the time, Bob Grant, my mentor who gave me my opportunity in radio. When I heard that, I said... Howie Hurwitz? She said, yeah. I said, well, we got to talk. Because other than Joe Clark, 
of Patterson Eastside High School. You remember, they made the movie. Joe Clark with the baseball bat, remember? And the the bullhorn as he chained up the... uh, the stairwells, well, not the stairwells, but the exits and entrances because so many uh, criminals were coming in and drug dealers and people who were intent on doing bad things to the children and the staff there. And he, he had it in lockdown. You know who went to Patterson Eastside High School? Bernie Carey. Yeah, who became police commissioner, correctional commissioner under Rudy Giuliani. And what a great job he did as correctional co- commissioner. Boy, you didn't have any problems back then. If you were going to give Bernie Carrick or any of the staff on Rikers Island where they had a total number of about 18,000 inmates in all the correctional facilities in the city of New York at that time, you know what your penalty was? Not the bing, not solitary confinement. You had to wear Air Giuliani's. You know what that was? That was Skippy's from Tom McCann that they painted with fluorescent orange paint. So no matter where you went, whether the lights were on or the lights were off, all the other inmates and COs, the screws, knew that you were wearing Ed Giuliani's. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Check. Like something that Cousin Brucey, the world's greatest DJ, would serve up. Saturday night, 6 to 10. Great show before I came on. Uh, the best side of the other side of midnight, 12 to 6, as you will not go to sleep on me in this last half hour. To the break of dawn. Well, my sister, my older sister, Alita, loved Bobby Rydell. She had all the posters up in her room. She'd go to Palisades Park, swings all day and after dark with the world's largest saltwater pool, although it wasn't in Palisades Park. It was actually in Fort Lee. And who is the host there oftentimes of the performances? Well, Cousin Brucey himself from WABC. And she loved Bobby Rydell. Couldn't get enough. That was her favorite in our house. You know, um, my mom would prefer Dean Martin's version of Volare, Italian classic from Steubenville, Ohio. My uh, sister would insist, no, no, come on, let's play Bobby Rydell's version of Volare. And then, of course, the prince of uh, Staten Island, Vinnie Madugno, he actually performed a little bit with Bobby Rydell before he passed away to the hereafter. So it. Again, a lot of linkage here, and this was the classic uh, song of his, Swingin' School. So, as I was at that uh, dealership that we're helping to promote, Capel's Ford dealership, they have so many different dealerships, but if 
There's a warehouse sale. The woman who was married to the former cop from Aspeth, they listen all the time here to WABC. They swore to me they weren't leaving to Florida. They believe, as I do, you improve, you don't move unless you have to leave. And as I always ask people when I'm talking to them, and some of you, if you've been in my company, you ask, the way I get to know you is, what high school did you go to? It tells me something a little bit about you. Like if you told me you went to Francis Lewis High School, I would know a good ROTC there. If you went to Franklin K. Lane High School, which separates East New York, Brooklyn from Queens, right on City Line Avenue, right? Franklin K. Lane, the acronym, Fun Kicks, Laughs, and No Education. That tells me a hell of a lot about you. Okay, so I rate you a little lower than those that went to Francis Lewis High School, not far from the new San Francis Prep, as opposed to the old St. Francis Prep that I played ball against him at Karen Park and North Williamsburg. You see, we've gone full circle. So she says, I went to Long Island City High School. And without having to ask her age, you know, you don't do that with women. I knew it wasn't the new campus, which they call like an international academy. But it was that school that you see when you're coming off of the 59th Street Bridge, a.k.a. the Queensboro Bridge, a.k.a. the Edcotch Bridge, coming into Queens. My daughter and I would just settle on one freaking name. And you're either going to go to Queens Boulevard or you're going to take the left and you're going to go to Northern Boulevard, which eventually takes you into Automobile Alley. And there's a building there, squat in the middle, surrounded by asphalt, not a tree, not a blade of glass. That's the old Long Island City High School, which was run, I mean, in a magnificent way by a guy who was referred to as the last angry principal of the old Board of Education of New York City at 110 Livingston Street. That Rudy Giuliani, when he was mayor, running for mayor, trying to save our city, which he did, said should be blown off of its foundations, and he couldn't be more hopelessly correct. Oh, a horror, horror house. So here he is. He's principal of Long Island City High School. By the way, Long Island City High School is not an all-white high school by any means of description. It was a feeder school from the Queens Bridge Projects, the largest public housing project in America with two separate divisions. So about... Uh, 3,000 kids, if I remember correctly, from about 40 different countries and uh, equal numbers of whites, blacks, and Hispanics. But boy, he was tough. He was law and order. I would oftentimes listen to him on the King of Talk radio in the afternoons, Bob Grant, and he would talk about how the system was failing. And it all came down to a showdown between Dr. Howard L. Hurwitz, the last angry principal of Long Island City High School, the old one. And the, uh, if I remember correctly, he was the chancellor of the ineffective Board of Education at the time, Irving Anchor. I'll never forget that. Irving Anchor. And he came down to simply the principal saying that there is a young lady in the school who is incorrigible, who will not obey the rules and regulations, who will not obey the teachers in her homeroom or in, in any of her other classes, and she's got to go. She either has to submit to discipline or she's got to go. And a federal judge ordered his arrest. You imagine, now this is 1977. We think things are bad now, and they are. 
wanted one of the greatest educators of all time, greatest principals, right up there with Joe Clark of Patterson East High School, right? That they made the movie of, Do the Right Thing. One of them arrested. I'll never forget. In a corner of his office was a couch. The principal, Howard Hurwitz, slept there, guarded by the parents of the students who supported him. After he was suspended first by Irving Anker, Chancellor of the Board of Education, for refusing to readmit this 17-year-old girl and incorrigible because she was always disrupting classes. In fact, back then they had the 600 schools. If you were a constant disruptor, they would uh, segue you into a 600 school. Wow. This guy did not surrender. He did not retreat. He said, look, I am not going to allow this young lady to stay or anyone else who would interfere with the most important portion of a young person's life growing up, which is to be educated, to know how to socialize, to know how to mix with other children, and to understand the importance of teachers. That was a showdown. That was a showdown. And so I went full circle to when I was first listening to the King of Talk Radio, Bob Grant. I didn't know him at that time. I was a listener. He was so good. Eventually, I was to meet him after starting the Guardian Angels in 1979 because we were being criticized by all. But there were only three men in talk radio who gave me a microphone so I could explain that we were not vigilantes. We were not taking the law into our own hands. We were not a gang. One was the King of Talk Radio, Bob Grant, who was on in the afternoons, 3 to 6, sometimes 3 to 7. There was Barry Farber, uh, who was on overnights at WOR from like 12 to uh, 5. And there was uh, mid-mornings. Uh, oh, yeah, man. This guy had been uh, took on the mob. He used to do live broadcasts. Uh, from actually nightclubs when uh, radio was king. Barry, uh, uh, don't don't tell me I'm getting a, oh, no. Don't don't tell me I'm getting a little bit of that Joe Biden dementia. No. Barry Gray. Oh, wow. Out of L.A., big believer in the Second Amendment, right to carry. Had uh, been an auxiliary cop for years but hated the horse-drawn carriages in Central Park. He was passionate that they, they, they had to stop abusing the horses. He was tremendous. In fact, on the morning that I was shot on June 19th in 1992 on the orders of John Gotti Jr. to John Gotti, excuse me, from John Gotti Sr. to John Gotti Jr. and the Gambino crime family, shot in the back of the cab, the first person to call in the morning to my producer at the time, who was trying to hold down the show, Angels in the morning was Mike Thompson, and it was Barry Gray who was, at that point, doing overnights at WOR and would listen to me in the morning. And he called up, and he was he just was conveying his sorrow, sadness, because he remembers when he first gave me that opportunity to explain to his vast audience who we were and what we were doing and that we were not vigilantes, we were not a gang, and we were not taking the law into our own hands. As Bob Grant, the King of Talk Radio, my mentor did, and Barry Farber, the big three that paved the way for so many who never recognized them, 
They make the big bucks. You know, they have talk radio, and they are not comparable to them in any way, shape, or form. Uh, for one simple reason, radio was king then. Now radio competes with a lot of different entities, a lot of different entities. But they they broke into radio when oftentimes the only way you got your news and information and your commentary was from radio. What a, what a time it was. <sighs> Let's go to Frankie and Glendale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Frankie. Yo, good morning, Cuz. Listen, I'm troubled that... Uh... You know, you got that food situation down there, people stealing food, Valentine's presents, you name it. I, I, I got to get together with uh, Mike Bocelli. We're going to maybe bring down some care packages. Like, I'll get a couple of dozen bag, a couple dozen bagels from Glendale Bagels over here. I'm out of with you. Uh, I'll bring down everything. I'll bring down the cream cheese and the butter, or maybe uh, uh, some Sicilians from Corrado Pizzeria. But, uh, you know, we've got to get a raise or something. To, I mean, the food situation. I mean, maybe some Progresso soup, too. But uh, No, no, we uh, actually, believe it or not, Frankie, we have a kitchen supplied with anything that you could ever want. That's Margot Kasmatidis. She actually talks to us and says, is there anything you like? But we have cans of all kinds of Progresso soup products. And all we have to do is open it up, microwave it, and it's good to go. All right. I thought you guys were in dire needs. You know, I was going to write a letter to Mr. Casamatidis. Maybe you guys are all in line for a, a raise or something. Hey, oh, listen, I got to tell you something else, too. You got to watch your back, cuz. Because I think, uh, you know, uh, your uh, close friend there, uh, Anthony Weiner, he's moving in. He's moving in, and uh, you're going to be losing a lot of hours. I'm telling you, watch yourself, Curtis. I don't want to see you off the air. Hmm. He, oh, wow, man. Yeah, he has got more hours now. It's two by himself, two to four Saturdays, and then left versus right. This past uh, Saturday, again, in the ring with Roger Stone, his uh, friend George Soros buying up radio stations. Gee, he may be actually uh, become CEO of the Soros Radio English Language Network. He could be a double agent, man. Hey, listen, look, your, your buddy uh, Kubi there, he, uh, you, uh, you, you had a little uh, problem with him, too. So, uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're trying to be nice to these people, and then all of a sudden, you know, out the door you go. You're so correct. Ron Kubi, whose mommy is a commie, Frankie, uh, actually, uh, when we went our separate ways, he had a long stint as a talk show host um, uh, there. Radio Free America. No, it wasn't Radio Free America. Air America. It was an attempt to liberal progressive radio. They had a lot of top talent. They had Ron. They had Rachel Maddow. Although she wasn't very good. She would just read off a cue cards. They had Chuck D, a public enemy. And then they had the U.S. Senator. They had Gillibrand from New York, the previous Annie Oakley, who was like all into the Second Amendment until it was Chuck E. Cheese, Schumann, the schmuck to put, said, hey, would you like to replace Hillary Rodham Clinton? You know, Barack Obama wants to keep his enemies close to him, so he's making her Secretary of State in the Obama administration. We want to replace uh, her with you, but you can't be Miss Annie Oakley's Second Amendment any longer up in uh, the area outside of Albany. 
Man, she gave up the Second Amendment in a heartbeat, man. She was, like, grabbing all the guns underneath the bed. She had rifles, shotguns, handguns, and started melting them down, turning them, oh, I'm going to turn them into plowshares. So the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer said, yeah, 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 good, 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 good. And you know who she was competing against? What was it, Kathy uh, Kennedy? Kathy, um, Caroline Kennedy. Right, Caroline, that's right. Couldn't chew gum and think at the same time. Uh, And she was being supported by the billionaire Bloomberg, the mayor, Barack Obama, naturally the Kennedys. And you know who had to choose between Gillibrand, the Schumer choice, who no longer was Annie Oakley, you know, I hate the Second Amendment. What these fake, phony, fraudulent politicians? They'll, they'll flip on any so-called belief system if it means more power. It was my husband-in-law, David Patterson, when he was governor. He had to choose between Gillibrand and Kennedy to replace Hillary Rodham Clinton. And, you know, let's face it, the schmuck to punch Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, Pisha, Schmendrick that he was, he bent, he bent my husband-in-law's uh, leg and stuffed it in his pocket. And he said, you got to go with Gillibrand. And you know what my husband-in-law, David Patterson, did? He went with Gillibrand. He dissed and dismissed Caroline Kennedy. Kennedy had the support of Barack Obama, the president. The Kennedy clan, Ted was still alive at that, right? The perv, uh, they called him the lion of the Senate, and perv, too, along with uh, uh, Dodd there in Connecticut. They were, uh, Two guys, if you happen to be a waitress, they were going to sandwich you sandwich uh, you between them. Oh, my God. What decadent, debaucherous animals. And, of course, the billionaire of Bloomberg. And that's how Gillibrand became the U.S. senator, the junior U.S. senator. And on Air America at that time was a comedian famous for his appearances on Saturday Night Live. Eventually represented Minnesota. And she indicated that he was a perv, had too many hands-on, too many femme fatales. Who was he that she knocked down, huh? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. It was culturally appropriated my name, Curtis Jackson. I was born long before him. When last seen, he was shot nine times outside of the Rochdale uh, co-ops. Some would say it was Ja Rule and who's his crew. Fiddy always tells people, I got shot nine times. Sleeve only got shot five. That name is mine. Uh, I made a billion dollars on that, that that drink that we used to put food coloring in. We call it Vita Water or something like that. And Coca-Cola bought it for like $4 billion. What are they, crazy? All they did was take plastic bottles, put it in the sink, right? Fill it up with water. 
and put food coloring in and say it's vitamin water. And 50 Cent was like in partnership with a guy who owns the Thoroughbreds, Vinny, I forget what his name is, Middle Village. Ah, it makes me nauseous. It makes me nauseous. But he's a big trumper now, as you know, 50 Cent, like a lot of rappers, you know. All of a sudden, uh, Snoop Dogg loves Trump, you know, while he smokes the bone. Uh, 50 Cent, oh, uh, we love Trump, we love Trump. I wonder if 50 Cent had designer, a designer sneaker. Because it appears that Donald Trump was at SneakerCon, and he's got a designer limited edition sneaker that I'll bet you in just a few hours at 8 o'clock when I rejoin all of you as part of my boot camp training for talk radio host with Andrew Giuliani. He'll be styling and profiling some Trump limited edition sneakers. He likes to wear sneakers. You know, he's of that age. MAGA sneaker, right? What the hell? Trump was at sneaker con. Man, you ain't catching. I don't care, Joe Biden. You're on TikTok. Get out of here, man. You would never make it at sneaker con. You'd have to be, what do they call those? Rockwell, right? Rockwell shoes for old people. And you'd probably slip and fall at that. But that's not why we're playing 50 cent, 50, 50, 50, 50 cent. By the way, uh, I wonder how those Adidas uh, easy Kanye West sneakers are doing, right? That German company was left like with $10 trillion. Designer easy Adidas. Or maybe the Trump sneaker was old school Converse, you know? Chuck Connors Converse. Pro Keds. Maybe Skippies. You know, whatever. But anyway, the reason we're playing this, it's uh, Sophia's birthday in Brooklyn. Happy birthday, Sophia. Hi, can you hear me? Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis. It's my birthday. Hey, Shorty, it's my birthday. <laughs> Thank you for playing that, Curtis. Um, I just wanted to, um, since it's my birthday, I wanted to share a birthday wish. Um, I need a kidney. I'm on a kidney transplant um uh, list, and it's uh, close to going on to maybe like six years already. And um, I'm on dialysis. Dialysis is deteriorating my my body. So I just wanted to put a plea out there. If somebody would, you know, want to do a benevolent act, uh, an act of God to save someone's life. I'm O negative blood type, and. Um, yeah, that's it. Maybe this is the year. But I also want to say, Curtis, I've met you so many times. I, I'm one of your biggest fans. I've met you at different events and such, and I was a huge. I, I rallied for you when you ran for uh, mayor. I made everybody crazy, you know. And then when you, you know, unfortunately didn't win, I was very, very disappointed. This time around, Curtis, I want to pledge my, I want to volunteer. Well, well first, I first, uh, I know you will, but we got to get you a kidney. You know, uh, Ed Cranepool had the same kind of problems. The great New York man came right out of high school, Monroe High School, Bartow Avenue, played right in the old polo grounds. And years later, he needed a kidney. He got a kidney donated. Sid Rosenberg, the big Met fan. I'm not a Met fan. I say, hey, Sid, did you offer your kidney up to uh, Ed Cranepool? Uh, Sid, the big sports guy, said, well, I'm not that friendly with Ed. But he got one through a match. 
And Sophie, I want uh, to get all your personal information. Make sure you give that to uh, Christian Matos, our phone screener and board operator who is substituted for Broadway, Bill Lee, and done a magnificent job, I might add. Hey, Broadway, you're listening down there in Fort Myers with your friend Warner Wolf playing shuffleboard in that competition versus the Canadians who always win and are taking over West Florida in Fort Myers. You may not you may not need to come back. You ever hear the story of Wally Pip? You may just want to find a new occupation after 45 years of doing radio at WCBS-FM with Joe Carsey in the afternoons. And so nice, he's over here on the weekends. But, yeah, we got to help out Sophia. I know a lot of people who have had kidney transplants, a lot of people who go for dialysis. Uh, one of my great friends over at the New York Daily News, John Campy. There's nobody better than John Campy, man. Promotions. He was a vice president. When I got the uh, award, uh, newspaper boy of the uh, year, he was head of sales at the Daily News. Working under him, man, some of the greatest salespeople of all time. Johnny Legit went on to become the publisher of the New York Post. Man, that's when people used to come into the Daily News with wheelbarrows full of money wanting to advertise because the paper was so thick especially along Automobile Alley, Northern Boulevard, Capels, and all the other dealers. But, boy, times have changed. Times have changed. So we got we got to help out, Sophia. But uh, John Campy, man, uh, he would go for dialysis three times a day. He was so busy. He knew everybody. He helped create the New York Daily News stickball tournament that I was the commissioner of that was so good. But I remember I would have conversations with John Campion. He would be so wasted from the dialysis. You know, he had the stent right in his arm and have to go. And then it would take him hours to recover. And then eventually he just was not able to survive. Although, what a prosperous life. Everybody, everybody knew John Campion. And he made things happen at the Daily News. There's no doubt about it. Put him on the map when it came to uh, public events and doing things in the community. Especially in the Russian community. He had some of the first events on the boardwalk at Brighton Beach. And at their annual event along uh, Brighton Beach uh, Avenue. Think of it right now. With the uh, execution, the assassination of... A guy who's really the bravest guy I've ever known. That's saying a lot. I've known a lot of brave guys. But this guy is freedom fighter, Navalny, who took on this monster, Putin. And even after Putin had him poisoned and his life was saved in Germany, he made a decision that many others said is madness, crawling back into the belly of the beast, flew back to Russia to Moscow, where he was going to run against Vladimir Putin, same way he's running in these fixed elections upcoming, a coronation. But Navalny had the following, and that's what Putin didn't like. The moment he stepped off that tarmac, they incarcerated him in gulags and moved him around from Siberia all the way up to the Arctic Circle. And there's no doubt he was executed. They said, oh, he died of natural reasons. Get out of here, 47-year-old guy, natural uh, reasons. So if you can, I was at the uh, commemoration to and protest outside of the Russian consulate for Navalny. It's on 91st, right off of 5th Avenue, right across from Central Park. 
I was there. You can look at all my social networking. I posted what I felt were very heartfelt reasons that we must support those who want to bring freedom to Russia because it's under the the boot of oppression of Tsar Putin. He's not like, uh, he's not Vladimir Lenin. He's not uh, Papa Joe Stalin. He's not Khrushchev. He's not Brezhnev. He's Tsar Putin. But just as bad. Six o'clock this evening. I'll, I'll be stopping by, but I got to get back here to begin the broadcast with Andrew first and then Nancy with the deep dive and then the animal welfare hour. But I'm going to make a second visit. Candlelight progression procession for Navalny. A man's man. You know, they say, what have happened to all the men in the world? Man, you couldn't be braver than him. He stared at death at the Grim Reaper, and he told jokes and drank vodka on his way to a place that no doubt is reserved for him in heaven. Whatever his religion is, it's got to be a place for guys like Navalny. Because he believed, as uh, I was taught by my father, when good men do nothing, evil will triumph. And he crawled back into the belly of the beast. Come on out. I don't want to just see Russian nationals there. All Americans should be there. 6 p.m. Hope to see you there outside of the Russian consulate. 91st Street, off of 5th Avenue. Show solidarity with Russians who are prepared finally after decades, centuries of oppression, going back to Peter the Great, to finally free Russia in our lifetime. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.